Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the start of a brand new month on the Oz Network, a month of movie recaps, as we are doing something we've talked about for years upon years upon years, and we're finally getting around to it. That is Rom-Com Month. Uh, I don't want to call it Chick Flick Month. Somebody's going to get offended. Um, I don't want to call it Hooker Month, because <laughs> that only covers the first week. Oh, uh, but Tom Hanson, you've is- got mail's a bit slutty. Well, this this is coincidentally the second hooker movie we've covered this year alone. Um, Showgirl started with a hooker. I guess that technically counts. Did it though? Uh, so that not a hooker. No, she was a well. That was her background. She's a stripper. It, so she's a stripper. But they said that you in the background they gave to her. They they said you had just been prostituting yourself, and that's oh. when she decided to become a stripper. Anyways, this movie's better than Showgirls. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, my name is Colin, and my mom called me a bum magnet. I always knew that about you. Uh, and my name is Ben. And you don't have to be rich to be my girl. You don't have to be cool to rule my world. Ain't no particular sign I'm more compatible with. I just want your extra time and your kiss. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here Thursday. I tried the deal. <laughs> And thank you for not doing It Must Appear Love. Oh, but it's there's right so out. many songs I wanted to sing. This soundtrack's amazing. Can I just buy this soundtrack? I, I, yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm curious we go through this to see how big of a deal, because I don't know, soundtracks became a bigger deal in the 90s, but I mean, this might have been kind of the start of like, well, I guess Top Gun had a big soundtrack, but... Uh, I just want to keep this, singing that. I'll get over you. <laughs> I know I will. I'm the king of wishful. I love that song. So good. Ah, this soundtrack. Uh, pretty Woman. Uh, I don't you. think this was even on our radar. Yes, <laughs> that's you, Ben. <laughs> Slowly becoming one. <laughs> uh, but uh, this wasn't even our radar. The funny thing is this, this rom-com month is something I think we talked about like all the way back in year one when we were mapping out what are the types of different months we could do? And I think it ultimately came down to you've got mail being one of the ones that, Oh, it would be great to do. You've got mail. And then when we were looking at anniversary month this year, uh, we had two movies that are going to be coming up later on in the month, sleepless in Seattle. And you've got mail that uh, fit into anniversary month. But it's like, well, we could save that for rom-com month. And then we decided on doing Notting Hill. And I think by default, we said, well, let's do pretty woman. Um, I've, I've got a background with this movie that I teased a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it is not the background you expect. I was like probably, uh, I don't know, nine years old, eight, nine years old. Uh, maybe, maybe it was 15. I don't know. I didn't understand what a hooker was. Uh, could have been last <laughs> year. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, we, we were staying in a hotel. Now there were two separate times throughout the course of like a year where we were staying in a hotel. One was when we went down to Minneapolis on vacation. It was like spring oh, break vacation. Holiday hotspot. 
Uh, and my mom basically sold it as the biggest mall in the world. And she did a lot of shopping and we spent a lot of time in the hotel room. Uh, but <laughs> get, get off the hood of the car, mom. <laughs> shopping, yes. Uh, but the, the second time was, I, I don't know, a couple months later when we were moving. <laughs> That's what but Colin like... what a prostitute was. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, well played, I, I didn't want to call your mom that, but like you, you left rest, that rest open. Rest in peace, mom. <laughs> rest in peace, Mrs. Hilding. Sorry. But uh, the second time, a couple months later, was when we were in between houses and like we'd sold one house, but then the other house wasn't available for a couple weeks. So it was basically just waiting, waiting, waiting. We were in a hotel. And back in those days, you had the pay-per-view channels, which were available in the hotel just for free. So you didn't have to pay. It was just a pay-per-view. <laughs> but th th those channels weren't available. <laughs> and if there were, I wouldn't have understood what was going on until after I saw this movie. And that's where it's Colin learned what a prostitute was. <laughs> <laughs> How many more times could we get miles on that? Oh, oh. oh and happy birthday, Noah. Sorry. Oh, happy birthday, <laughs> happy Noah. Birthday, everybody Noah. out there. If everybody out there wants to find Noah wherever he still exists on social media and wish him a happy birthday, <laughs> uh, somebody missed it. But um, yeah, so there were two movies and it was either the Minneapolis vacation or it was when we were moving houses where the only channel that was any movie that we really had an interest in watching or did watch was this. The other one was back to the future Two. I remember, cause I remember seeing back to the future Two, having already seen it in theaters. <laughs> no, no, no I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying we chose this. I'm saying one of the times we were in a hotel back to the future Two is the, sh the movie was on all the time. And the other time it was pretty woman. So this by default was just a movie that we watched, I don't know, for three or four days straight, uh, multiple times a day. So, at the age of, I don't know what I was like nine or whatever, uh, maybe even younger, maybe older. Uh, I pretty much knew this movie by heart. And then I probably didn't see it again for years upon years. In fact, I don't know if I've seen this movie since the early nineties, but uh, that's my history of this movie. And I didn't understand what a hooker was. Uh, and I think even by the time the movie was finished, I was asking my mom about it. Still didn't understand what a hooker was. Uh, but I get it now. Uh, I, I definitely get it now. Uh, Ben, do you have any history of the movie or is this one, the one you said you've never seen before? It's one of the ones, one of the two I've never seen before. And I think I kind of went into this a little bit worried because, you know, it's one of these ones that I remember when I worked at Sanity and it's, you'd always have the, the Mother's Day sale or the Valentine's Day sale. And that always, you know, have the, for her month, like it was just the section where it was always like, as you say, the chick flicks, if that's politically correct mm -hmm. to say anymore. And like, this was the quintessential one that was always in the same table or like shelf as dirty dancing ghosts, Ugh. you know, like all these classic female, you know, inspired well, movies that were targeted towards women. You know, Barbie <laughs> would be on that shelf today. Like, like it's, it's that sort of movie and kind of going into this, I was worried because, Oh, and here's dinner. Oh, Oh, got a big oh, salad Jesus, and chicken nuggets. nuggets. Fuck. Hello. I want nuggets. That's why I miss being married. Oh. Nuggets for dinner. <laughs> um, your, your house is just turning into child's play. Like your posters on the wall. At least one of you, Pokemon <laughs> posters, chicken nuggets. I mean, God, that's that's great. Um, so yeah, I was kind of worried because I'm like, well, you know, of all these classic great movies that are directed towards females that have this reputation, hated Dirty Dancing. Ghost, it was fine. I don't think either of us hated Ghost. It was. I think we both rented it from memory. And that was one that I'd sort of had that history with. Remember when I sort of was like three or four and I got taken to the movies to see it because, you know, my mum couldn't find anyone else to look after us that day. But this, no history, none at all. I knew like the famous scenes. Like I knew the bit where she got like turned away from a store and then came back and was like, hey, I'm rich. I knew the, 
the necklace bit where like that was Julia Roberts like completely ad libbing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I gotta say, Colin, I absolutely love this movie. I found it so enjoyable. Um, and like I'm watching this last night, going like, okay, it started off good, but something's gonna happen. This is and it's still going. I'm like, oh, this is still really good. Oh, something's gonna happen. This is gonna get shit. I don't know. I just had this real negative viewpoint that all of a sudden this was gonna get bad, but it didn't. I really enjoyed this, and I'm sad that I've taken it's taken me 33 years to to watch this because this is very enjoyable and i'm saying right now like i'm a huge advocate for the love story in titanic i know you're going to shut me down this could be one of the best love stories i have ever seen in a movie because i don't know if i've ever seen chemistry between two people and a story Mm. that is kind of believable and you've got a whole movie focused on two people falling in love in a way that to me i don't know if you'll scoff at this because you don't know what love is but like (laughs) It's kind of natural. Like, it just, it feels very natural. And I'm going to say right now, this might be the first Richard Gere movie I have ever seen. I can't think of another Richard Gere movie I've ever seen. I like this guy. Who is this guy? (laughs) This guy needs to be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) He's so Somebody hire this man. Like, they're just both so likable. And... Oh, I don't know. I really enjoy this movie. I was really looking forward to waking up this morning to talk about this because I really enjoy Pretty Woman. Yeah, it's it's actually it is a really good movie. I think that I was I was surprised throughout this movie how many times I thought not remembering everything about the story, thought they're going to go in this direction and then mm. I'm going to hate it, kind of like you were saying. Uh, and I think that what that ultimately comes down to is that this is like the original. I, I'd be curious to see like the biggest rom coms of these. Like I think when Harry Met Sally was before this, but I've never seen that, so I don't know how much of the similarities with like the formula is there, but this is essentially the movie that inspired every rom-com of the nineties mm. and every rom-com of the nineties did it so predictably. And there's elements here where you could tell they're borrowing, but particularly the end, I'm like, wow, th- th- that's clever. That's actually not the way you'd expect it. Having said that there is at least one major complaint I'm going to have about this movie. It involves, um, the, the Jason Alexander. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I've got a bit of an issue around his character, but yeah. Yeah, it's just something that was like, there was a much better way to do this. But everything else with this movie really holds up. And I think it's it's one of those rare examples where something inspired a genre that just to this day has gotten so tired and so dull, but it's fresh, even though it shouldn't be. And and Richard Gere, I'll, I'll, I'll get my Richard Gere. This is actually Jamie's Richard Gere story I'll, out of the way I'll, here. Just quickly, I've, I've, I've actually seen two movies of his. Sorry. I've seen, oh, the, what's ja- the, other I've one? seen the Jackal and I've seen movie 43 which we forgot we did cover on this show. Oh, that's right. He was in that. Yeah. I mean, he he was kind of a big thing in the late 70s. Um, there's, uh, there's a great movie called Days of Heaven that uh, was directed by Terrence Malick, who took a break from directing movies for like 20 years. And then he came back with that uh, war movie, The Thin Red Line. I don't know if you uh, mm. ever even remember but that. They remade that, didn't they? Or was that the remake? Was that the no, 98? The, the, this, yeah, 98 movie. I don't think it was a remake. We've but, talked uh, about it a lot, but I, I always thought that was a remake. Okay, sorry. Yeah. But like Days of Heaven was like a big critical movie. And then he had the American Gigolo movie where he played the prostitute, I guess, in the early 80s. But uh, this kind of just... Gentleman, wasn't that his like big movie? That was, yeah, that was another one. So he had this huge run, you know, throughout the early 80s. And I don't know whether he was like at the height of his fame anymore when he did this. But I mean, this gave him new life because you look through his career throughout the 90s and like you, a lot of the movies I haven't seen, but like these are are like huge, huge movies. I, I think I kind of i was gonna say got turned on more richard, richard that was jamie's job but oh, uh, i got turned on by I, richard I, gear i'm saying I, it 
<laughs> I, I discovered more of Richard Gere throughout like the mid to late nineties when he did uh, some, some good like thrillers. Like there was a movie Primal Fear, mm. which is like a, a legal thriller that uh, Edward Norton kind of became famous. You that. mentioned The Jackal. Red Corner, which is a great movie uh, where uh, another like legal thriller he did. Uh, and then so uh, The Mothman. Uh, what was that? Didn't he do one with Diane Lane? Was it? He wasn't the unfaithful. Aff- unfaithful. Yeah. I was going to say the affair. No, but um, yeah, I thought there was like yeah, yeah. Remember that? Another out. great movie. But Mothman Prophecies, which is like a oh, movie yeah. nobody remembers. It's like a horror that. movie that uh, still to this day I'll say like there's definitely problems with that movie, but like that movie has some genuinely ter- terrifying moments. But who else uh, is in that? The, Richard uh, Laura uh, Linney. Mothman. Yeah, Laura Linney. Yeah. Uh, but uh, obviously Chicago, another big boost for him. Oh, but yeah. shall we? Shall we dance? Which was. Uh, Movie he made with Jennifer Lopez and Susan Sarandon actually filmed here in Winnipeg. And that was like the beginning of Winnipeg being like a big location for like Hollywood movies. I mean, it's so weird to look back on it now. It's been almost 20 years. But like in this last year alone, we had like the uh, Silent Night movie, that David Harbour Santa movie that filmed here. We had the Woody Harrelson basketball movie. But like Shall We Dance was such a big deal at the time because nothing other than a TV movie had ever filmed in Winnipeg. And now you got this, you know. $80 $80 million movie with Jennifer Lopez and Richard Gere filming here. Uh, but the, Jamie, actually, I remember her telling me this all the way back when I met her, which was not long after Shall We Dance came out, was that her school teacher, it was like her biology teacher or whatever in high school, was hired as Richard Gere's stand-in for Shall We Dance. And she basically told me that, like, this guy was, like, the spitting image. Like, basically, they walked into class, like, you know, you look a lot like Richard Gere. And he's like, yeah, I've uh, heard that. I was his stand-in for that movie that filmed here. Uh, so Jamie, anytime Richard Gere movie comes on, she's always reminding me, oh yeah, I had a school teacher who looks just like him. And then I'm like, oh yeah, you told me that. And there's always a pause and it always ends the same thing. And by the way, my teacher was also really hot. <laughs> like, okay. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, but I mean, Richard Gere is great. Like I think he, you know, growing up in the nineties, you kind of associate him as like, that's a chick flick actor, but like you see him in anything, like he's amazing. And I think his character is one of the reasons this movie works, which is weird because it is totally the Julia Roberts star vehicle i mean this is what she became a huge it's pretty rare nowadays to have an any actor have kind of not their debut movie but like the movie that puts them on the map make them that big of an overnight star but like richard gear i think grounds this movie like he is the heart of this movie more so than she is and he really shouldn't be because he's an emotion he's me he's an emotionless character you know he's he's a businessman even when he's in love but i think that's what's so Oh, perfect's a strong word, but that's what's so perfect about this movie is that I think you can take that from both characters because I can see why this made Julia Roberts a star, and I'm a Julia Roberts fan, and it's hard to believe. Like, I was reading all the the behind-the-scenes stuff about her being cast in this and about how this was meant to be, like, a dark movie. This was meant to be, like, a drama, and she was meant to be, like, addicted to drugs and, like, all this kind of stuff and how this was sort of changed. And you read who could have been... Vivian, like yeah. just with the, we could have had Leah Thompson again. All of a sudden, we could have been talking about her. <laughs> but it's just, I think both characters are so like, like it's it's sort of like again, let's go with Titanic as an example. Like, you know, we can nitpick Jack and Rose and and character flaws with both of them that realistically make them unlikable. And again, their love story is forty eight hours, thirty six hours. Like, there's things with that that we can nitpick around them. But like this, like. I find it very hard to nitpick anything wrong with either characters. They're just both so likable. They've got amazing chemistry. I mean, I watched, they had a, um, a clip on YouTube. It was like from the Today Show in 2015, back when Matt Lau was still a thing. And they had like a cast reunion. And they were sort of, they had, uh, you know, um, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts on there. The, the, the very likable hotel manager and 
uh, Vivian's friend and the director. Uh, and then Gary Marshall was basically saying that like, he kind of just left Richard Gere and Julia Roberts alone in a room. And within two seconds, he could tell the chemistry between them. And you can, like, it's just insane. And yeah, like, I think this is the thing with Richard Gere that I kind of wish I got from every time I saw Patrick Swayze, because all I used to hear from my mom yeah. and all that was like, Patrick Swayze, but oh, he's such a dreamboat. And every time we've done a Patrick Swayze movie, we've just been like, what is the deal with Patrick Swayze? <laughs> like, he's not dislikable. He's not unattractive, but it's just like, I don't get why this guy is such a yeah. massive heartthrob. Richard Gere in this movie, he's good looking, he's charming, he's but he's not like douchey rich. And like mm-hmm. even all the rich stuff, like I, I read criticisms of this movie being like, oh, it's talking down on poor society and blah, blah. I mean, all romant- romantic comedies have a rich person and a poor person, and always a rich person wins. This is the one rare occasion where it is the... The, the woman from the other side of the tracks with the rich man, like the, the, the standard of rom-coms or these sort of stuff, it's always, it's the rich, you know, goody two-shoes girl who finds the bad boy, you know, that's yeah. always what it Greece. is. Yeah, Greece. Titanic is that. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, The Notebook, like they're that movie where it's high society girl doesn't want to go with her parents, has to go to find the rough boy. Like you never have the, the rich boy finds the young girl. And then, like, mm-hmm. I even found, like, quotes that this was disparaging to women. I I think this is kind of empowering to women. Um, I think it's got a decent look. Like, we talked a bit about this in Showgirls. Like, I think the, the way they portray the sex industry isn't necessarily super negative. Like, I, d- I don't know. Like, I think, like, the Richard, Richard Gere character, the Julia Roberts character, the hotel manager character... Uh, oh. I mean, just, I mean, he's not the best. Do we just want that hotel yeah. manager hanging out with us all the time? I love that guy. Hank Azaria is a random detective. Did you notice he was in this? <laughs> yeah. As soon as I was here, I'm like, is that Hank Azaria? I think we might've mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, it is. Um, oh God, this movie's so good. So, uh, the hotel manager, Hector Elizondo, who actually had been in American Gigolo with Richard Gere prior to this, but, uh. I don't know if you watched much of Chicago Hope in the 90s. He was one of the main stars <laughs> I think on we that. talked about this recently. I'm like, who starred in Chicago Hope? No. <laughs> but it was him. And actually, his, his last big thing was on the Tim Allen series, Last Night Standing. He was in like all <laughs> he was in all nine seasons, and he was basically Tim Allen's mentor and boss. And amazing on that, too. Was he the Another second guy last just... man standing? <laughs> He's going to die before Tim, so probably. <laughs> and that's how He's Colin old. found out what prostitution was. <laughs> 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 it fits in with everything. Uh, you mentioned with the chemistry, like first of all, you the, mentioned like this was supposed to be. It was kind of written in the early '80s, much darker movie. It was still gonna be because I think this movie is still R-rated, but it, it is. is like it's it Disney's feels like most it feels successful R-rated movie of all time. Yeah, and it feels very PG's to me still. Yeah. You know, like 1990s uh, it, R-rated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, you could see a, a much heavier version of this. I, I recently watched. Uh, sorry, this is not my favorite film involving a prostitute. My favorite film involving a prostitute I recently watched was uh, Risky Business with Tom Cruise. Never seen it. Uh, and th- a great movie. And and that movie, I mean, it's completely different from Pretty Woman. But, like, that movie still, it's like, oh, this is maybe a sanitized version of, like, you know, uh, prostitution. Um, I'm, I'm going to have some complaints, not about this movie, but about the other modern-day complaints people have about every single movie where it's like, why is Pretty Woman immune to this? But... Uh, I could see a much darker version of this that maybe be something like Risky Business. Uh, that would still be fun. It would still be funny, but it would definitely, you know, be a little bit edgier. Uh, but it was totally the right call to say, let's make this a feel-good movie, a mainstream movie, which I don't think anybody had ever done anything like this before. Like, take a controversial subject like prostitution. Could you see a mainstream drug-dealing movie? 
you know, <laughs> uh, main scene child molester film. Like, I don't know. There's not a lot of other areas where you, can, where you can make this and feel good. Things. Like, white. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work, but it works. But then the, the casting of the actors, you know, so important. Uh, one of the things that I read was that, uh, Julia Roberts, who had really only had one movie, which was like not like a massive hit. She may have been somebody's like, oh, I recognize her from this or that. But uh, when they were doing the screen test, like everybody, the Gary Marshall knew, everybody knew the chemistry was great between Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. But Richard Gere was basically ready to turn this movie down, didn't want to do it. And Julia Roberts, just after the screen test, slipped him a post-it note that said, please say yes. And he agreed to do it. And basically that's how this movie, like it never would have happened with another actor. Like, would they have hired Julia Roberts with anybody else? Would they have hired her if they had Patrick Swayze's movie? Probably not. Like you had to have these two actors to make it work. And did you see the um, other lead males that were in consideration? Apparently, Al Pacino oh, yeah. was very close to this film. Uh, Sam Neill read for this. Sam Neill would have been worse. Christopher Reeve. I mean, maybe. Yeah. How old was he in 1990? Like, was he a bit older? Oh, than he was like years? in his. No, he was in his early 20s in Superman. So, yeah, he would have been younger than Richard Gere because Richard Gere is like 40. So, Chris Free would have been like early 30s at this point. Denzel Washington, I could have seen. that. Could have, he could have pulled it off. Uh, the the one that yeah. I think on that, um, the the Today Show thing that they really mentioned and I'm seeing here uh, is Charles Grodin. Um, Mr. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Beethoven himself. That's Beethoven guy, yeah. isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> I know him from the giant dog. Um <laughs> But I mean, it's it's. I don't I don't think I could say Al Pacino and so even Sylvester Stallone was considered. But um, I th- that earlier '80s uh, very hard R-rated version of this, I could see them. I, yeah. I don't think they would like in this version. But that suave kind of like Richard Gere type, like if they kind of played at this role, like yeah, Christopher Reeve, I could probably see Denzel, Sam Neill for sure, Sam Neill absolutely. Um, but. Yeah, like it's just, it's just, it's fascinating to kind of like, we just always have these unique moments where it's sort of, you have these like great chemistry on screen moments where you, you can't think of anyone else. I mean, if Denzel Washington had been in this movie, we'd be talking about this. We would have never thought about Richard Gere, um, you know, and it's, and it's, it was great to kind of see that recap of those two kind of being together. And they like Julie Roberts and Richard Gere were very, you know, like still great chemistry between them. I've never seen Runaway Bride, so I don't know if that kind of has the same sort of notion of that but again sorry to keep bringing up titanic but like i'm obviously a big fan and and i I love that's one thing i love about the chemistry between kate winslet and leonardo DiCaprio is to this day they're still like very close friends and they did do another movie together which i've never seen and i kind of like that we talked (laughs) we talked recently about like adam sandler and like some of the people he's worked with but like you know he's tom hanks and meg ryan well exactly next week but that's the thing like it's i love it when you can have these actors when they can do films together and they've still kind of got the game. And I'll be interested to see, because I've obviously seen You've Got Mail. I've never seen Slips in Seattle. So I'm assuming that there's some level of chemistry between these two if they came back together and did a film. And Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks have amazing chemistry in You've Got Mail. Uh, Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts have amazing chemistry in Notting Hill. And Notting Hill is kind of almost like a very similar story to this to Mayo more and more unpack it. Like the, the rich person and the poor person, even though Hugh Grant's not poor. But anyway, um, yeah. Uh, the chemistry is just, I don't look, I'm just trying to think of great chemistry in movies. And mm. this is just, yeah, you, this is top, top, there. top five, top 10. It just, it just works immediately between these two. And it's just, it's just so good. But like, yeah, it's interesting with Julia Roberts when you say, cause I think I was reading that, um, was that Miss, not Mystic Pizza? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Is yeah, that, Mystic Pizza was her first and one. And Steel Magnolias, which she got nominated for an Oscar for, had not been released, but it had been filmed, I think, when this had been done. So this is why like, she was an unknown. But, mm. um, I mean, I remember the big deal around her getting that Oscar in 2000 for Aaron Brockovich, a film I've never seen, but I'd love to see it. 
Um, but she had, did she get nominated for something else between Steel Magnolia's Pretty Woman and Erin Brockovich, or was that the only no, two? No, I think that was it. Yeah, because she was kind of always touted as almost a bit of a Leonardo DiCaprio back in the day of why she never won an Oscar. She always gets nominated mm. when realistically she'd only been nominated twice. But how did Richard Gere not get nominated for an Oscar for this movie? Robbed. Uh, I don't know if Richard Gere's ever been nominated for anything. Well, he got no, a he Golden got Globe for Chicago. He got a Golden he did Globe get nomination one for, for this. He got Chicago because I yeah I remember him getting a nomination for Chicago. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't object to either of them getting nominated for an Oscar or a best for picture. this movie. But. This is this is a movie today that would get nominated it's... for best picture. I'm telling you now, Barbie gets nominated next year, which is probably <laughs> going to. And this isn't me just trying to shit on Barbie again. I didn't like it, but I can see that it's a film for some people. I honestly, and I'm not just saying this because I didn't like it, Barbie does not deserve to be nominated for Best Picture if this didn't. Yeah, well, you have 10 nominations is the difference. That's, but still, uh, like, I mean, it, you it, could still see this getting a nomination, right? Did, Bri- did Bridesmaids get nominated? I mean, I like Bridesmaids, but I don't know if that deserves no, to get nominated No, it didn't get nominated for, for picture. picture. It got screenplay, though. Right. I mean, I don't know what, whether supporting this gets actress screenplay. Yeah. Huh? Um, we'll jump into the movie here. <clears throat> I actually don't think this will take that long because we do have a Famous lot of montages and stuff like that. Give us last Can words. I just quickly, I'll just jump uh, in. This is the same year that Ghost got nominated for Best Picture. This is a better movie. Ghost got Ghost. nominated for, I forgot about that. Yeah. So this is the year the Dance of the Wolves ones, Goodfellas, Awakenings, The Godfather Part 3, and Ghost. Oh, The Godfather Part 3. I love The Godfather movies. I even have a bit of a soft spot for The Godfather Part 3, but that movie did not get no, deserve to get nominated for Best Picture. But like, no. this is a better movie than Ghost. And Ghost got nominated. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would probably agree. Yeah, uh, and and obviously, I think a lot of what we're coming at though is looking back on this. Like, would we have thought this in 1990? Is the other question because we've seen how this genre has evolved and how much that it mm. owes to this movie. That that could be another thing. Uh, but uh, getting to the movie here, we have the opening rich person party. I don't know if this was supposed to be somebody's birthday party or whatever. Uh, we get introduced to Jason Alexander first. This, should, this could have been pretty one with Jason Alexander and Julia Roberts. I which, want to watch that. Which he was. Can I just add that again? Not really a Seinfeld fan, but Seinfeld started in 1990. So was this just it around? Started, I think it started in '89. It had like a short season, but like it wasn't until the third or fourth season of Seinfeld where anybody was watching it. It was like very much like a, a show people were talking about. Right. You should watch this, but nobody was. So yeah, I don't think anybody would have recognized him in 1990. And that's a guy from Seinfeld. <laughs> I probably w- wouldn't even know Seinfeld. I think the only thing I've like really, because again, I've not really watched Seinfeld. I know he like has a random recurring role every now and then in Young Sheldon, but um, he was the guy with the tail in Shallow Howl. Do you remember him in Shallow Howl? No, I don't. Yeah, he's like, Although, he, had, he was Jack Black's best friend in that movie. Get excited for next week when we uh, get to talk about David Hyde Pierce in Ooh. Sleepless in Seattle. Somebody I forgot was in that Niles. movie. <laughs> oh, I love that. And the Niles. movie takes place in Seattle, and yet he's not in Seattle in that movie. That's what's frustrating. I'm no. like, oh, he's in this movie. But he's know, in Baltimore? Well, I know nothing about Sleepless in Seattle, and I was talking to someone about it the other day, and they said that there's like a Tom Hanks is a radio host in Seattle. I'm like, is this like cliche that you have no. to have a radio host in Seattle whenever you said I mean I'm sure Grey's Anatomy has a radio host in there I don't know but like it's like Seattle radio's very radio big host. in Seattle yeah uh but anyway so uh Jason Alexander gets introduced to the party first but then we get Richard Gere who's breaking up with his girlfriend in the most business way possible uh I just love the ways well I don't think this arrangement is working out and we it must move on you. that's a good comparison yeah, this, this would 100 be yeah uh and um uh, the, the way that he breaks up with her is like such a businessman way. It's like, uh, well, maybe I should just leave then. Well, I think that would be for the best. I will send a car and you can pack your things. We wish you well in your future endeavors. 
Uh, and then we quickly have him run into one of his exes here uh, who already knows they got broke up. Like, how did this gossip start? He breaks up with his girlfriend, and then he comes out, and it's like, sorry to hear about you and your girlfriend. Were you listening to the door? Like, what is this He's woman probably doing? probably telling everybody the last few months, like, oh, I'm just in a relationship with the secretary. Uh, but like I love though I love though the thing where she said that she got married and then he was he even asked her oh yeah so uh, when we were together you know uh, <laughs> did, did did my secretary do most of the interactions with she was one of my bridesmaids <laughs> it's like oh okay awkward um, we're also intercutting here with Julia Roberts introduction uh, Jamie did point out she has very hairy arms I I didn't notice that but Jamie picked up that. on hairy arms Julia. Um, and this is King of Wishful get, Thinking as well. This is a bit of Go West. This, oh, I love this, this song. I, 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 I actually had never heard this song. Really? Well, I obviously heard it when I watched it. I'd heard this song when I watched the movie before, but I didn't remember it or anything. But as soon as I heard this, I'm like, this is a good song. This is, this is, I listen, saw it was Go West. This is on one of my playlists on my phone. Like just my, you know, if I'm listening to random songs, like this is just, it's been on there for years. I fucking love it. And the film clip is so random. It's like, they've got all these like, Famous people look alike. Like he, they've got the Pope at the time, like John Paul or whoever it was in 1990, mm. randomly like in this white set, like dancing, like so. But it's like it's it's a great song. I don't know whatever happened to Go West if they're listening, Wait. but um, great song. So Fat Boy Slim got Christopher Walken to dance, but Go West got the Pope to dance. Well, who well, ripped off who there? I know exactly. Get better, Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> uh, so. We get it obviously shown right away that she is a prostitute. We get her running to the club escort, and meeting her roommate. Sex worker, Colin. Es- sorry, escort. I don't know. They do refer to her as a hooker in this movie. Yeah, a bit disparaging um, now. I've worked with not allowed uh, to call escorts. Hooker. It's it's disparaging to call someone you've, a hooker or a prostitute. You've worked with escorts. Well, <laughs> I, I did host a radio, an adult radio show one time <laughs> in my life, Colin. Was it in Seattle? It was. <laughs> it was very big in Seattle. <laughs> and that's how I learned what prostitution was. <laughs> Yes. Uh, that the, can we agree? The roommate is the worst. Like she has a couple of funny moments in this movie, but I think her character is supposed to be the worst. Well, I mean, she's the worst, but she's like, I love her. Like, I mean, I get I, yeah. She's, I struggle to love her. No, huh? I think she's great. I, I love her. She's it's, so yeah. Maybe if they gave her more development, uh, I think this is one of the interesting things about how this movie evolved because originally these two characters were one character, like mm. Vivian and the room. What's the roommate's name? Um, I forget already. Kit. Jenny. Vivian and Kit were essentially one character in the original script before they decided to make it a feel-good movie. And when they said, we're going to make this feel good, we're going to make it more of a romantic comedy, they said, well, let's take all the dark stuff and let's throw that into the roommate character instead. Um, But yeah, I have some issues with her at the end, particularly the end of this movie. Uh, We get Hank Azaria, the detective here. Uh, Was Hank Azaria anybody at this point? Oh, sorry. Uh, Well, The Simpsons started in 1989, so I guess he was... Uh, Live action. Would anybody um, recognize him? There's another random cameo, which you probably would not have gotten. He's in it for like literally four seconds. The landlord that Julia Roberts is trying to avoid um, is the guy who plays Mr. Heckles in Friends, who also is in Breaking Bad. He's the guy who runs the... um, the the crushing yard where they hide their RV and he's the one who kind oh, of okay. like tells um <laughs> Hank not Hank Azaria uh to to go away um oh, what's he's he's, he's got a he's well known but um so I, yeah I'm looking here Hank Azaria I mean the Simpsons had just started um maybe it hadn't at the time this movie came out I don't know what the actual release date was but he'd done a couple guest spots on TV shows this was Larry his Hankin. first movie uh. Oh, I do know that name. Yeah, that's the, that's the guy. Uh, very tall, very 
tall, crazy gray hair. Guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, if you, you, like, again, you type in Mr. Heckles from Friends. I know you're not a massive Friends fan, but I'm sure you re- you would know who he is in Friends. And then, yeah, yeah he's the, the, he's in Breaking Bad for like two episodes as well. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Hank Azaria. But like, aside from The Simpsons and a couple of guest spots on TV shows, Hank Azaria was in this movie, another straight to video movie that came out the same year. And then nothing else film wise until Quiz Show in 94, which got nominated for Best Picture. Hmm. And he actually has a pretty major role in that. So Wasn't he? I love in... Hank Azaria. So do I. I mean, we know I talked about him in Godzilla, but what was that random superhero movie with Ben Stiller and um, William H. Macy? Mystery Men. Mystery Men. I love that yeah. movie as a kid. Whatever happened to Mystery Men? That was a great film. Yeah. And also, it was a big year for Mystery Film because he also did Mystery Alaska that movie with Russell. Uh, that year with Russell Crowe. Yeah, I haven't been a long yeah, time. Yeah, he was the guy. He that. was the uh, the former guy from the town who went off, became big, and he was the guy who was bringing the Rangers in. Like it was his oh, show. Okay. He was kind of arranging. Long it. time. I need to see uh, that movie again. Hank, yeah, Hank Azaria, do more live action stuff. I love you, Hank Azaria. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's basically a cameo from him. Uh, so we get Julia Roberts and the, the, the sidekick, the, the roommate, the druggie, uh, <laughs> they're, they're out on the corner or whatever. And, uh, of course they're running from the landlord here because they owe the landlord $300, but the, the roommate spent the money on drugs. She spent it on drugs. It was definitely heroin. Uh, they never identify what it is, but, uh, I, I do like though when they're working the, the the corner here and they're they're using the the star on the Walk of Fame. They're like, we work Bob Hope to whatever. You go down there to Monty Hall now. Monty Hall, uh, I don't know if you would anybody outside of North America. He was even before my time. But you, have you heard of the game show Let's Make a Deal? Yes. Yeah, Monty Hall with the the host of the game show Let's Make a Deal. But uh, famously, he's also from Winnipeg. He was like one of the first famous people to come out of Winnipeg. And um, my famous uncle. Uh, his mom had basically babysat Monty Hall. <laughs> so oh. uh, it was kind of like a connection. There's actually a street here in Winnipeg that's named Monty Hall Drive. Very rich area. Some of Richard Gere would sex workers live. work there as well? Like, is that you work well, Monty that's Hall? Where, that, that's where the second-rate ones go. It's like, mm. we, we work we work here in downtown. You go over on Monty, Monty Hall Drive over there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, I guess, a big game show uh, host or whatever. Um, so we get Richard Gere pulling up here because he stormed out of the party. I do like what he uh, basically steals Jason Alexander's car. Uh, and he's looking for directions. So Julia Roberts is basically going to charge him $20 for directions. Um, eventually they decide on it. Now there's a deleted scene in here. And I, I don't know if you read up or watched the, I actually watched the deleted scenes from this movie. There's like five, six minutes worth of them. But this is something where it's like, I kind of wish they had had it in here because it gave it a little bit more danger. But when she's getting in the car, uh, her pimp is coming out to basically say, hey, you're not supposed to be hooking up with anybody unless I, I okay it, right? Uh, and that's all there is for it. And she's basically like, okay, drive, drive, drive. And then he speeds away. But they wrote, they obviously wrote that out because there's a scene here where she says to her roommate, like we, the roommate says we should get a pimp. And she's like, no, I don't want a pimp. We need to keep our own money. So they obviously completely, because yeah. I know they, isn't there a deleted scene with her and drugs or something like that that they obviously gave? Well, there's another hit? deleted scene later on, yeah. yeah. But the, the deleted scene here, they actually did film where huh. when she's getting in the car, the pimp's coming out and she's basically, well, oh, I got to go, I got to go. They must have written it because, yeah, there is definitely a line. I think it's when they're standing here in the street and they're talking about, like, rent and, you know, this is where she's like, I'm sorry, like, I spent it on drugs and blah, 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 blah. And this yeah. is, yeah, one. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a roommate. It says, like, well, why don't we get a pimp? And Julia Roberts is like, well, no, because a pimp will just take our money and control who we sleep with. Like, we've got the right to charge what we want. And this is where I kind of think it's a bit empowering because it's kind of like, no, like, we can do what we want. Um, so, yeah, that, that was obviously something that 
was in the script. They probably, I'm guessing, filmed that before they did this scene because that they did a reshoot later on yeah, to explain that doesn't it then make sense if you've got this scene like, where she says, "No, I don't want a pimp." Uh, apparently, there's a director's cut that was released to this that reinserted that scene uh, back into the movie. <laughs> the, the, the birth <laughs> chicken scene. nuggets and salad do, <laughs> uh, but yeah, this scene is apparently put back in for the director's cut. So yeah, that would cause a lot of confusion because I, I vaguely remember that line. Uh, so yeah, when the, she's giving him the directions on how to get to his hotel. Uh, he's asking like how much she actually charges and she says a hundred dollars an hour. And he says pretty stiff. And this is a joke. Cheap. I definitely didn't get. I mean, not that I would know. Um. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is where she, she kind of reaches over and looks when he says that's pretty stiff. And he goes, Nope, but it's got potential. Now that's um, sexual I get assault. That joke now. Can I just say like, it that's, is, that's, yeah. a cute, well, that's a cute little moment. Like I get funny. Reverse it around there. We've just seen a world where a Spanish football executive kissed a woman <laughs> celebrating the World Cup and the head's been called because it was not consensual. She gropes him by the doodle. That's sexual assault. <laughs> Imagine if I just said, hi, Julia Roberts, I'm going to grab you by the vagina. Sexual he assault. Only, he only paid for directions. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like there was an exchange of anything else. It's just 20 saying, bucks. me too, Vivian. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they arrive at the hotel. He makes her put on a jacket or whatever because he doesn't want to create a scene or have people know he's arriving with a prostitute. Uh, and then they get in the elevator. She basically causes the scene. I'll have every time where she causes the scene this <laughs> so movie good. to make it very clear. The elevator guy is great. Like, this guy barely has any lines in the movie, him. but, like, his reactions are priceless. Why is there a couch in the uh, elevator, though? I've never, even in, like, rich places I've been to to feel my life, I've never seen a couch in an elevator. Yeah, like, I've seen where they, they, some big buildings will have an elevator operator and there's, like, yeah. a stool they sit on. But, yeah, not, like, a couch. And, like, how how long are you going to be in this elevator that you need to relax on the couch, put your feet up, take a nap? Yeah, well, you've had, a private had a elevator? hard day being rich. So yeah, exactly. you've been in the business office. <laughs> uh, so when they're upstairs, this is basically her propositioning him. And he keeps saying, well, why don't we talk for a bit? Like Again, he's not you. interested in having sex. So this is me. Yeah. Uh, I do love where he's like, you're sitting on my facts. Uh, and then he started to ask, how much do you charge for an entire night? So she says, oh, I couldn't do it for less than 300, which is exactly how much they need for the rent, which this money never gets to their landlord from what I remember. Not until late, much later in the movie. Well, it's she leaves it at reception for... But then Kit never shows up. Yeah, which is on her because she kind of goes off at her later when Kit's all like, oh, yeah. I didn't have the money. And, and Julia Roberts is like, well, I left it here and I called you. That's on you. So it's it's on mm -hmm. Kit. So she does leave it for her the next day. The other, uh, the other deleted scene actually explains how Kit finally gets there. So I guess she never got the message or something. I'll, I'll cover that later. Uh, but... Uh, uh, she basically uh, goes through all of her rules here. I love she she says, oh, I'll do anything, but I don't kiss on the mouth. And he says, neither do I. Because she's saying it's too personal or whatever. Same with me. <laughs> this is me. There we go. <laughs> Again, Colin's um, had that uh, in his marriage agreement for the last like 12 years, how long you guys have been married. Uh, he, uh, he almost throws her out when she's flossing her teeth because flossing is bad <laughs> for some her teeth. I don't know. Uh, no, she thinks she's she, drugs. He thinks his drugs or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he has dental floss or whatever. Uh, the next morning they wake up. Now, this is this is where the flashbacks to seeing this movie started to come to me. And it's all revolving around food in this movie, okay? So the next morning at breakfast, when they've got the pancakes and the Christmas, he basically says he ordered everything on the menu. Uh, we were staying in a hotel when I got this, and I can remember ordering a big breakfast with pancakes and a bunch of stuff and croissants because I learned what croissants were watching this movie. I didn't understand what prostitutes were. But I learned what a croissant was watching this movie. And so that's I remember how Colin us... learned what a pastry was. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, uh, I remember one day when we ordered breakfast because our mom was still asleep 
and we got croissants and pancakes, basically everything that was on that menu in Pretty Woman. And then the next day, my mom got mad at us and said, you guys ordered this much on room service. It's like that end scene in Home Alone 2. It's like, <laughs> you spent $900 on room service? So the rest of our time in that hotel, all I was able to order was oatmeal for breakfast. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> as I'm sure as I'm sure my mom is going out and eating steak dinners. Uh, Thanks, mom. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I learned what a croissant was watching this movie. Uh, he explains what he does for a living. She thinks he's a lawyer. He says he just buys companies. He disassembles them and then he sells it off for a profit. Uh, she explains that she got as high as 11th grade in school. And I love that she asked the question, how far did you go? Like just the innocence of her saying, how far did you go? It just really made me laugh. Uh, he asks if she'll stay. Uh, is this, yeah, he, he, this is where he asked her to stay for the entire week or for at least uh, six days. Not. All in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You're right. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, so this is where she's singing your opening line in the bathtub, which is a great scene. Now, I, I'm not going to say I I dislike Julia Roberts, but I, I wouldn't have ever considered myself a Julia Roberts fan. I wouldn't have ever gone on my way to see her. In fact, sometimes I would go to my way to not see a Julia Roberts Aww. movie just because like, oh, Julia Roberts, you know what you're going to get, right? But like, I completely underestimate how charming and how charismatic this woman is because yeah. her singing in the bathtub is just like, like just, just give me an entire movie of this. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> you, you filmed two hours of this and I'll watch it. Um, I, I also saw that Sleeping with the Enemy movie she made after this, which I would love to add to Bad Movie Month, but uh, not nearly as charming in that movie. But uh, this is great. The negotiation where you're saying how much for the week? And she said, well, I couldn't do it for less than, what did she originally propose? Like 8,000 or something? Uh, um, 4,000. Well, well, they, I think they settle on 4,000, but I think she says like six, he says two. Yeah, no, because they settle then, on three. They settle on three. They settle on three, yeah. So, so whatever she offers, she offers four. And then he says, that math doesn't check out. $300 a night times six is $1,800. I'll offer you 2000 It says, well, I'm here for days as well. They settle on 3000 And then this was a great uh, moment they had where at the end of this, uh, she says, by the way, I would have stayed for two. And he says, I would have paid you four. Uh, that's awesome. And then uh, here's we get into Hector Elizondo the next day. Um, and uh, she has to go buy a bunch of clothes. Uh, so I guess we'll cover all the way up to the, the clothes sequence here. Um when she goes into the the clothes shop and she's asking how much money it is, uh, and the, the, they basically throw her out uh, because she's a prostitute. Uh, now, I mean, should they be throwing her out? No, I mean they're, they're giving up a potential commission. I don't think there's anybody in retail sales who is literally just going to throw a person out unless they think there's actually a scene. I'm watching the show Yellowstone right now, where as soon as I saw this, I'm like, oh, I think Yellowstone kind of ripped this off, but it's like a different context in that. It's like we think you're stealing. This is one of the scenes in the movie. I'm like, you could have written better because whenever they try to, it's very much like Titanic. Whenever they try to write a villain, it's like, it just comes across as so unrealistic that like, I don't buy it. And I don't buy even in Beverly Hills that anybody's going to walk in like looking like this. And they're immediately going to say, no, you can't shop here. Like they're going to at least say, well, what's your price range? You know, cause you're going to make a commission off selling somebody $5 thing off the counter. You know, I don't know if I agree with that because you yeah, get kicked out of places all the well, time. Well, like, I, I, I've, I've legitimately been in places where I have been, like, looked at, like, what the fuck are you doing in my store? And they do not want anything to do with me. So I've been in stores where I do not suit their clientele and I am getting looked at to a point where they want me out of there. Um, but, I like, yeah, I mean, it's maybe a bit over the top, the fact that they would literally tell her to leave. But I also, like... I've driven down Rodeo Drive. This is a street where there are literally stores where you need to swipe your credit card to prove you have money. 
you need to make an appointment in order to even go into that store to browse. Like there are stores that do exist in the world that you have to prove that you are rich to even walk in the door. So, I mean, it's maybe going a bit OTT on the level of get the fuck out of my store, but... The snottiness of the clerks is what I really don't buy. But I mean, it, it, no, I, I, it's maybe a bit over the top. But again, I think it, it leads to an amazing, you know, maybe the most famous part of the film was this one film, the one, the, one of the two scenes that I was very much aware of existed in this film, the whole like, you know, big mistake scene. Um, but yeah, but I mean, like just I'm, I'm obviously keep talking, but I was just going to say like there's so many of these scenes that like endear you to her character because it's sort of it's mm-hmm. that sympathetic. The way she responds to it. Yeah, because like, like. Elizabeth Berkeley and Showgirls would have fucking yelled at this woman and thrown things on the ground and be like, I'm not a sex worker. Whereas Julia Roberts is just kind of like, no. And she just kind of leaves. And you're like, oh, poor thing. Howdy. Yeah. Howdy. I thought you said howdy there for a second. Howdy. howdy. <laughs> Too much Toy Story today. Uh, but but I do love the, uh, the, the other clerk here when they're talking about how much it fits and how expensive it is. And then she's like, how much is in the other clue? It's very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's on her hips. Um, so she goes back to the hotel. This is where Hector Elizondo uh, oh. intervenes. Uh, now, now he's basically, I love the way he approaches it. This is the way a professional would do it. And this is, I think, the difference between, I get in a movie you want to have, a, I, I just personally I don't feel like you need characters in this movie that are so clear cut bad guys. Like you, you could make it them all like Hector Elizondo, like the way when he's like, listen, you and your uncle, uh, who I know is not your uncle, and, I, and he even says something like, a, just promise me that once your stay here is done, you won't have any more uncles that you visit, you know? He's very politely doing this, and then when she mentions how she didn't get the clothes, all of a sudden he's like in dad mode here. Well, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sending you over uh, to my best girl. Uh, this is, uh, I think we, we get the first uh, Roy Orbison here, Pretty Woman montage as she's doing the shopping. Uh, I did wonder whether Hector Elizondo was watering his flowers with a coffee pot. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> well, it's isn't it a thing? Like, I think we used to do that when I was in Canada that, like, if you had a coffee pot that you weren't going to use the water anymore, rather than waste it, you would pour it into plants because it was just boiled water. So it was still, like, if, if it was... Oh, as, so maybe it's not actually made coffee is what you're saying. Yeah, like... I don't like, drink coffee, so I don't understand how well, it works. Like, yeah, like, even, like, obviously, yeah, like, sometimes it will have made coffee in it. But I think, I, I actually, like, I'm not even making this up. I think there is um, some th- plants where you can water it with coffee like it does help it like i think that's a thing mm-hmm. um so yeah we, we get her going shopping and then uh when richard gears phoning her and i love when he basically says first rule is you never pick up the phone she goes okay but you called me <laughs> I love this thing. uh yeah and then when he calls back again and it's like i said don't pick up the phone is it then stop calling me <laughs> it's great uh she gets uh etiquette lessons how table etiquette this is the other thing she didn't know how to do uh, and then uh, when Richard Gere arrives uh, right before the the big date here with the uh, the date with the, the the double date with the grandpa and the grandson, which I found very weird because Jason Alexander, the premise of this movie is built around what I'm going to consider a plot hole. The fact that Jason Alexander says you need a date to mm-hmm. meet with this guy whose company we're buying. It would be very appropriate if you go with a date. And meanwhile, the guy's bringing his grandson like this isn't a double date scenario. Yeah, why like, it's just Jason weird. Alexander should be with him, shouldn't he? Like he's yeah, lawyer. This should, should be, be like him. a whole group of yeah, people, you yeah. know. And if you're gonna make it where you should bring a date, then just add one extra extra at the table and say, yeah. "This is my wife and this is my grandson." It's just it's otherwise it's so weird when he shows up. But uh, um, I, I love the Hector Elizondo. This might be my, to, to me the funniest thing Richard Gere does in this movie, and is also the driest thing he does in the movie, where he's talking about, "Oh, so uh, I did help out your niece this afternoon." I said, "By the way, sir, she is not my niece." 
Yes, I knew that. And then Hector Lozano was ready to move on. It's like, the reason I know that is because I am an only child. (laughs) (laughs) No need to say that. Um, And and I like the relationship between Richard Gere and him too, because it's not like, they say that he is a regular client of ours, but obviously Richard Gere couldn't care less about this guy. So when Richard Gere is walking away from, uh, he says, oh, thank you, Mr. Thompson. He goes, yeah, Mr. Thompson, the manager. And he walks away and he's still mumbling. He's like, manager of this hotel. He's got his card <laughs> ready to give to him. He wants to give him his yeah, card. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess we'll, well, yeah, let's stop there before we get to the actual double date here. Um, just uh, one thing I just want to talk about, but like a couple of quick things I really like. Um, I love it when Richard Gere's like sort of driving around in this Lotus, which by the way, I mean, that's basically very similar to the Spy Love Me Lotus. It's a bit newer. But um, apparently they went to both Ferrari and Porsche to be in this film. Uh, but both did not want to be associated with the movie with sex workers. Um, so they they turned down the opportunity to have their cars used in this film. But Lotus jumped at the chance. So what does that say about Lotus? Um, but it's a nice car. But um, I do love it when he's driving around like going like, oh, excuse me, do you know how to get to Beverly Hills? And you've got this like homeless guy. Oh, absolutely. You're here, my friend. That's Sylvester Stallone's house. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, thank you. Um, I've seen Sylvester Stallone's house. If you ever go to Hollywood, do the Hollywood Homes tour, and he's got a very, very nice house. Of course he would. It's Sylvester Stallone. Uh, there's also, just to interrupt for a second, there's also that line where when she gets in the car with him. Yeah. And she says, I can show you all the Hollywood Homes. No thanks. I've already just been to Stallone's house. <laughs> but it's just it's little things like that that just adds to this chemistry. And I think that like what this movie does so well, like it's it's natural. Like uh, I, again, I don't know how you and Jamie fell. That's a whole other fucking movie about how you and Jamie fell in love. I mean, it sounds like she just tied you up and like you will love me. And then here you are putting Pokemon posters up in your room like twelve years later. But like this is a a normal human thing outside of Colin that when you fall for someone, generally there's like a a chemistry and a banter and just kind of like a level where there's just something there. And that's what I think just like is so natural from the moment that kind of, she's just like, Oh, it cost you $10, $20. And then she just like gets in the car and just these back and forth between the two of them. And like, obviously this is scripted, but this is stuff that to me, like you'd almost believe he's ad-libbed just the way these two like just work together so well. Um, and like, you're right. Like I love it. Like all these like moments when, you know, like obviously she's a, uh, you know, a, a sex worker, she's a prostitute, she's whatever you want to call it. So, of course, you know, she's in high society and so you got all these people, eh, eh, look at her. Um, and then I just kind of do love, like, the reactions like that <laughs> the, when they're getting into the elevator and that woman's just like, close your mouth, dear. Uh, like, just like things like that, which is just really, really funny. But I think the thing that I really enjoy about this movie that, and this is going to be me kind of talking down on Titanic because it's just the, my go-to. Because I, I honestly think Titanic is like my favorite love story until maybe this film. It's just everybody in Titanic goes out of their way. And you talked about this to disparage Jack. The only one who sees Jack for the genuine human being that Jack is, is, is Kate Winslet and Kathy Bates. They're the only ones, right? And, like, obviously the poor people in, you know, the steerage, right? Like Fabrizio and all those sort of people, the Irish guy and all that sort of stuff, right? Whereas this, like, everyone in this movie kind of looks down on her, but within a few seconds they kind of give her a chance and humanise her. And I think that's what really works. So, like, even in this scene when you've got, like, the guy bringing the champagne up, right, and you've sort of got him just standing there doing the the, the Rob Schneider, <clears throat> like wanting the money from like Home Alone or uh, is it the Mr. Bean when he's kind of like <clears throat> <clears throat> and Mr. Bean gives him like the throat lozenge and that sort of stuff. Like even he's just kind of standing there like, I'm, like I'd like my tip. She's like, what are you looking at? 
And she's like, oh, that's a tip. And she's like, oh, okay. Like they could go a completely different direction with that scene and everything. And that's when I thought with Hector, they were going a different, when he's kind of all like, you know, who is that woman? Where are you going? Like this is to me, and maybe this is one of those bits where you said you feel they're going to go a different direction with it. Oh, here's the cliche moment where it's like, oh, like trashy looking person can't be in my hoity-toity hotel. So we're going to kick her out and then she's going to have to fight to come back. But like within two seconds, he's just like the nicest guy in the fucking world helping her out. The elevator guy helping her out. Like, even when we've got, like, all these people who kind of almost just look down on her, within two seconds, they're, like, they're really nicer. The dinner scene where, like, she's just cute and charming. And what's the thing he keeps saying to her? Like, stop fidgeting, stop fidgeting. And then you've kind of got this whole scene where it's sort of like, you know, she's having trouble at the dinner. But even, like, the old grandpa and the grandson who you think are going to look down on her, they're loving her as well because she's just such a nice person. And it's... Like, again, it's the reverse of the Titanic dinner scene when Jack shows up and he's, like, chewing on the bread roll and he's, like, to making it count and sort of everybody's looking at them and then Billy Zane's all like, hey, we're going to get brandy and you're not going to join us because we're rich. Whereas in this scene, like, they're just kind of like, oh, Julia, come here, you, you old scallywag. Like, it's just, and that's what makes this film so good is that, it's, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming our complaint's going to be the same later on with Jason Alexander kind of having a forced villain. Like, this is one of those rare movies where you don't need a villain. You don't need conflict. Like, the one scene where there's conflict between these two characters is resolved very quickly. This is just two hours of two people falling in love. And, like, that just is what makes this movie work so well. It's this, this budding relationship. And... I'm, you know, I'm a person who like, ah, oh, Casino Royale, how do they fall in love so quickly? Even Titanic, it's like, oh, 36 hours, whatever. This is a week, but like, this genuinely feels so natural. I, like, without getting too personal, I've been in situations yeah. where I've fallen for someone in a week. Hence why I get married and engaged all the time. No, uh... but, <laughs> but like, but it's just, it's little scenes that they do. And like that phone call scene, it's just so cute. And just, like, the whole scene in the breakfast in the morning, it's so cute. Like, when she shows up and she's, like, redhead, you know, because she's been wearing the wig. And, like, even, even like, the sex, which is only implied, there's no real sex scenes in this film, but it's done in a way where it's, like, sweet. And, like, Richard Gere's a very awkward man. And she says something mm-hmm. later on, I think, doesn't she, when he, like, I think it's when he hires her for the week. And she's like, well, you're, like, a rich, attractive man. Like, why do you need to hire me? And he's just, you know, like, because he's kind of awkward. He's kind of like, you know, she's trying to, like, come on to him the whole time. And he's just like, oh, can we talk first? And then even when she eventually, like, starts unbuttoning his shirt and, you know, it's called a blowjob, Colin. Um, like, doing that, like, it's done in a tasteful manner in which you're sort of like, oh, like, this is sweet. Like, it's just very well crafted, the way they do mm-hmm. all of this. And just everything that you talked about, even like the, the shopping sequence. Like I love Hector. He's like maybe my favorite character in the movie when he's just like, Oh, yeah. go get some clothes, go do this. And like, it's, it's kind of cliche that they use pretty woman the way they do in this film. But as you kind of said, this kind of was the, the template for why movies did that. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And now dumb and dumber makes so much more sense. The why they use pretty woman as the montage scene <laughs> in when they're getting their like toenails shaved and all that kind of stuff now. So, Hey, I get it now. The parody of this film. Thanks dumb and dumber. When we do that next year. Um, but ah, oh, it's just, it's just, again, this is when I'm watching this going like, Oh, this movie's really good. At what points are going to get bad? And even like the, the scene that uh, I don't think you mentioned, like her just like laying on the floor watching. I love Lucy. Like, it's just, yeah, it's cute. Like, it's just, 
And this is what's endearing. I mean, I'm a massive Julia Roberts fan. I actually, looking at a filmography, I haven't seen as many of Julia Roberts films as I thought I had, but the ones I have, I, I loved her in. Did she do a film with Tom Cruise? What was it? Didn't she not? I, I feel she did a Tom Cruise film. Why am I? She didn't do that Lions for Lambs. That was Meryl Streep, wasn't it? But wasn't uh, she in it? Yeah, I'm going to have to look at that. I don't remember her being in it. I, mean, I Cruise, for some reason thought check. she did. I know she, what, Tom Hanks, she did, um, was it Larry Crown? Yeah, and also uh, Charlie Wilson's War. Right, and I, I uh, thought she so was she in Cloud Atlas, but she wasn't in Cloud Atlas. But I I, I thought she did a movie with Tom Cruise. Because that would be a movie like I'd she, like to see. Tom Cruise did The Firm, which is like the John Grisham craze, and then she did The Pelican Brief the next Maybe year. Maybe that's what so, I'm thinking of. Right, um, okay. Yeah, but not in the, it doesn't look like they did, were ever in the same movie. And together. it's also like, because nowadays, like, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere are both kind of, they're not retired, but they don't do much anymore. Every time, like, they both yeah. do a movie, they're kind of like, oh, like, because Julia Roberts did that oh. George Clooney come to Australia I, movie I was going to say the ticket to Paris, I, I've been dying to see that, but Jamie had no interest in it. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I got a bit of publicity because they filmed it in Queensland. Um, and like, I, I'd really like to see it because I, who doesn't love George Clooney? She did a George Clooney movie back in the day. She's definitely worked with George Clooney before. She's a lot. She, well, all three oceans movies. There was also oh, that course. movie money monster. They did a movie money monster together. What? Yeah. I mean, they've, they've worked together probably more than any other oh, well, you was, know, two actors in Hollywood. Didn't they do, um, was it confessions of a dangerous mind? Yeah. She oh, was yeah, Sam Rockwell and Drew Barrymore so in that movie. S- Six movies at least, and counting, wow. <laughs> probably run I mean, across that, four. I mean, I can't imagine they don't have the most amazing chemistry. I mean, George, is George Clooney not the most charming man on the planet outside of Pierce Brosnan? But you, but you know what's weird, though? Because they've done six movies together, and yet people don't talk about George Clooney and Julia Roberts the way they do Richard True. Gere and Julia Roberts, who have done two movies together. Underrated Julia Roberts movie, which I don't know if you've ever seen, and if you haven't, you should see it. Stepmom, great movie with Susan Sarandon. Jamie always tells me how much she loves stepmom and you told me that even recently too i'm like maybe we should check that out tonight it's a really ed harris is in that movie um it's 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 a great movie um but yeah anyway like i just just everything that sets this up and it's not rushed either like again titanic like it's a bit rushed um when you think about their love like even notting hill and you've got mail do it in a way where like you know time has passed and kind of you know everything along those lines you know the time frame of this film. You almost see them every day together. But every time they're together, just something adds to it. It's just so natural. And that's what I love mm. about this film is this love between these two feels so natural. And it's just, it's working in all these scenes. And even her transformation, it's very cliche. The, the quote, yeah. ugly duckling becoming the beautiful swan. <laughs> like, and that was what, the late 90s, early 2000s. All that was was high school movies. What was the... um. Use all that. That one. Take off yeah. the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Kiss me under the Milky Star. Like Freddie Prince Jr. Um, like those movies are very disparaging now if you think about it. Whereas I was thinking, oh, this movie's probably not going to date well because, you know, whatever, but it, it does. So yeah, anyway. The uh the one thing you'd hit the nail on the head on is why it's so important to not have every character looking down. And this is where every other movie, including Titanic, gets it wrong. Because you in reality, let's look at this if this is real. In reality, if every person in your friend circle, your work circle, your family circle sees you with somebody and they all are like, I don't like this person, that should be a red flag, you yeah. know, because yeah, in reality, 100%. that's telling you they're seeing something that you're not, you know, and that's where I feel like they also miss the boat with Jason Alexander here because Jason Alexander has re- good reasons to have those red flags because he hasn't been exposed to Vivian like everybody else is. But it works so much better when you see Hector Elizondo and the elevator guy and all the people in the clothes shops and, and the, the the grandpa and the, the son or the grandson who he's buying the business of all fall in love with this woman because 
in reality, what would change a man like this? It's going to be so unrealistic. If you have everybody else hate Vivian, this movie ends and this guy's having a midlife crisis. The only way it's not a midlife crisis is if everybody else in the world is completely falling in love with her as well. And I think this is, you're right, because I think this is where I've seen the criticisms of class divide in this movie are just so unfounded because, you know, it's so easy to make a movie where the rich are bad and the poor are good. Like, I mean, it's just, it's standard. We get it. But, like, not every rich person on this planet is a dick. Some people work their ass off to become rich. And then when they're rich, they're automatically talked down. Like tomorrow, if you and I yeah. got, got discovered and we're the next Joe Rogan podcast, like we've been doing this for a long time. We like we, we worked our way up. Well, started from the bottom. Now we're here. Thanks, Drake. But like, it's just in all seriousness, like uh, we've all been in situations where we feel out of place, be that, mm-hmm. you know, we are in a, a situation where we are like in a bit of a high society or a rich area or, you know, just in parts where we don't feel comfortable. And I'm sure we've all had, like, I've I've had varied experiences where, yeah, I definitely feel uncomfortable. I feel looked down upon. I don't feel comfortable in there. But as you say, you're 100% right. That's a bit of a red flag. Like, that's not a situation you should be feeling in. On the flip side of that, I've been in many situations where automatically I feel uncomfortable, but people are nice enough where they, they accept you and they kind of take you in and it doesn't matter who you are. Like, it's sort of... You know, this is a straight white guy saying, oh, I've been so disgusted. It's not even that. It is it's it is more of kind of like a class situation or, yeah. you know, like lots of times with my job where say like I'm starting in a period where it's like I have no idea what I'm doing, but then all of a sudden you get sort of taken in where you feel comfortable and by the end of it you do. And this is what this movie does so well. This is where you have this level of society where you've got such a class divide, but they're so accepting. And I don't think this is a type of film where – you know, it's like, oh, poor, bad, rich, good. Like, I mean, Richard Gere is a wealthy man who, if anything, he's kind of been like loosened up to a point where he's freeing himself from the stick up his ass a little bit where like mm. you see the scene when he's like walking in the grass later on and then kind of just like all the little cute things he does that like, yeah, Julia Roberts is changing into being a bit more like, you know, proper, but Richard Gere is letting himself go a little bit. Like, there's a good middle ground. The notebook from memory, like, struggled with that. I, I blocked that out of my mm. head. But, like, that kind of, you know, ah, oh, greasy old Ryan Gosling and hoity-toity Rachel McAdams. Like, there's just a nice balance in this film that it does this. And outside of a weird turn with Jason Alexander, they kind of nail everything in this movie. You're right. I think Jason Alexander should be questioning it. Should he be turned into a rapist by the end of the movie? No, that's very <laughs> strange. But, like, outside of that, even Kit or whatever her name is, like, even she's still unapolog- unapologetically kit, you know what I mean? Mm. And that's what I love about these. These people are still their own people. I, I, I did not come into this month, Colin, thinking that we're going to be sitting here, two men uh, completely going, yeah, pretty woman, this, <laughs> this movie is shit right. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm really concerned about Sleepless in Seattle right now. I feel it's going to let me down all of a sudden because I know the last two movies are great. But um, this mo- this is the one I think of this month that I was most concerned about that I wasn't going to like. And here I am defending it more than anything I have in my life. One thing I want to poke a bit of a plot hole in is that if this movie's really about class divide, it, is there any way that Julia Roberts is supposed to be poor in this movie if she's charging $100 a night, doesn't have a pimp, well, and well, shares rent? Like, Because if this is 1990, if she's if she's got one customer per week, she's doing okay. And we know she's got more than one customer per week. I think, I think, I think it's kind of alluded to that she will charge up to $100 a night, but I think it's kind of alluded to that she never gets that. 
Um, but she's also got the prime spot on the walk of yeah, fame. She's but, got Bob Hope, you know? <laughs> but like, I, <laughs> like think, I think everything in this movie tells us but, she's good at her job. No, but like I also think the problem is that Kit is not and she blows their money on drugs because like you Which see... Which is why I wish you'd done more with that in the movie. No, but like because I think like when she goes to pay her rent, she gets it out of like the toilet and it's gone and then that's yeah. why she confronts her in the club because she spent it. So I think it comes down to Kit is a horrible person. Um, and let's like I don't know if it's ever meant to be like she's dirt poor, right? It's more of a the hand to mouth. They're like you know they and I think also yeah like I see what you're saying, but I think it's more implied that her getting a hundred dollars an hour is very rare, and like this is where she's yeah. stretching because she can get that from Richard Gear. But I think well we're gonna get the scene later on where she explains how she got into this work and how Kit sold her on you can make a lot of money and I think this is where I also have an issue with why they have to suddenly make Jason Alexander the villain and Kit gets a free scholarship at the end it's like <laughs> seriously Kit is the problem with this movie <laughs> um, but and she's when just we get so to the likable next... I like Kit but when we get to the next deleted scene that that might change your opinion a little bit anyways uh so the dinner scene here with the the guys trying to buy the company from and again Richard Gere just there's no change in his delivery. Like you don't feel like Julia Roberts should be looking at him suddenly being like, this guy's a monster. Cause he's, he's just emotionless. He he's doing dealing business the way he dealt with her, you know? Uh, and I think that's why it's great. Why she's, she's paying attention. She even says later on, like, I didn't understand all the business of it, but seemed kind of interesting. Right. Uh, but her messing up everything at the dinner here. I love the, the first thing where she said, where's the salad. And it's like, Oh, the salad comes later on. It's like, that's the only fork I remember. <laughs> Uh, and then go Now, this was another thing that came on uh, my... I remember us going out to a restaurant at some point and me asking, they got go here. And I asked to get go, which is actually not bad. I've had it. I had uh, it in Montreal. It's not too bad. Yeah, it, it's it's decent. But my idea for that came from this. And I love where she's fumbling with it and flies in the air. Uh, I love <laughs> like that guy. Slippery little sucker. I love that guy. Like, oh, it happens all the time. <laughs> slippery little suckers. Yeah, happens all the time. Uh, her eating the garnish is great. The garnish is, are they eating ice cream with garnish on? I'm guessing that's mint or something. Yeah, I don't know what it. But that rem- you say the garnish that like that's the you've got mail scene. Like, what are you doing? That's a garnish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also weird they're eating the ice cream there because their main course hasn't arrived yet. But maybe that's how rich people do it. I yeah, don't I don't. I don't like. Isn't that like? Is it um? Isn't Chinese culture you have your ice cream first? Like, is that a? Oh, uh, I don't know. I think uh, it's Chinese I, culture. I'm, I know if you go to any type of like Asian restaurants, they always have like the the ice cream scooper or whatever, which uh, mm. I don't know if it's something before or after. I mean, it's a palate. Maybe it's just that's there's the palate cleanser because I know mm. that's a thing, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the dinner scene's great. I mean, I love the this grandpa. Now I, I saw it. I, I kind of recognized him in the movie, and then I I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, I've seen him in His something. Last but screen appearance. He seemed like some famous guy from like the 50s or 60s. Rosemary's or Baby, Trading yeah. Places. Um, like the original like Trading Places or the Dan Aykroyd one. The Dan Aykroyd one. Uh, so which he would have done, I guess, before this. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through his filmography, and he's a classic actor. He was on Little House on the Prairie. Ah. Um, I don't know him from that. Um, Rosemary's Baby is probably what I would would recognize from. from uh, th- th- that's kind of an overrated movie, but anyways. Um, that's what my mom really liked. But uh, yeah, so when they're upstairs and he's all sad on the balcony, and, and I don't feel like there was – is there ever a scene or is this kind of the way they introduce his fear of heights? Because I don't think there's a moment where they say uh, he's afraid of heights. Early on when she first gets into the room and she walks in, she's like, I bet you can see the ocean from here. And he's like, I never know. I never go out there. So you hear that from oh, okay. him later on. 
Uh-oh. But I, I kind of like this little phobia thing. I mean, it, it it definitely will make for a bit of a cheesy ending, but a cheesy ending in a good way because they don't handle this wrong, you know? Uh, where, where she's up on the edge and everything and he he doesn't want to come out any further. Uh, this is where they're, uh, she's talking about, oh, the business seems kind of interesting, but that's a nice guy. And she even says, I think the problem is is that you like this old man and you don't want to screw him over. Um, is this and, where he's yeah, that line is, where he's like, we both screw people for a living? Yeah, like, we both like screw people line. for money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the, I, the there's also the the next scene here where he's down. Uh, he he doesn't want to stay upstairs, so he goes down to the bar and he's playing the piano. Now I'm seeing all these people, like the guys cleaning the tables and bartenders and busboys or whatever, and they're all just sitting around watching him. And I think the scene is meant to be like, oh, they've got this one sad customer who's playing a nice tune on the piano. But to me, I'm watching this thing like these guys want to go home for the night. <laughs> he won't let them leave. Like like we're we're, we're making overtime right now, but I'm tired, man. <laughs> Uh, and then Julia Roberts comes down and uh, they basically start having sex on the piano. Uh, now, this is a very good scene. Like, like you want to talk about chemistry. The, there's a difference between physical chemistry and then just you know, dialogue chemistry. They've got it both. Because, like, yeah. I'm not usually I'll be like, that's awkward if I have to watch a sex scene. But, like, watching it on the piano, I'm like, yeah, you you go for it. But it's natural. <laughs> Take her now. But, that's, but yeah. that's a game where it's natural. I think when I say most of us have been in situations, obviously not Colin, but, like, there is a line there where it's like, like it just you're right like because even sort of in that initial bit where they you know sleep together the the first night this is just another one where it's like you're not expecting them to fuck on the piano it's just kind of like this Mm. because you know it's you've had that sort of scene when like she's questioning him about his parents and then you know his dad dying and kind of like you know that's where like kind of he walks off right like he doesn't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. and then kind of it just goes from there where it's just it's this it's that level. And like what I love, like I love that bit when initially she says, I don't kiss on the mouth because that's too personal. And that's kind of yeah. the big moment where they fall for each other. So you even just have these little moments where he's going to kiss her and she's like, ah, 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 ah. so then it just leads to what it leads to. And again, it's, it's just implied. You kind of have that like weird, like pan up of that black thing blocking the screen. And it's kind of like, Oh, look what they're doing. So like, it's just little things like that, that you're right. Just sells a physical level of chemistry without going yeah. like, again, if this is an R rated movie today, you're seeing boobs. You're seeing them doing it. Well, you don't need that. Like, I'm all for boobs yeah. and shirtless Richard Gere and everything. But, like, for me, like, no. Imp- implying they're having subtlety. sex is, Subtlety is so much better in this film than actually seeing them doing it. And it's not like, like, I I, I didn't ask you, but I guarantee when he's got her on the piano, Jamie's Jamie's getting flustered. <laughs> her, her her body temperature it's, is rising. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's still a mine sex- is, and I'm, I'm not but, into it, this. but it's still a sex. Like I still think they're sexy. Like like me yeah. with a pulse and knowing what sex is. Like even like the initial scene when she's like going down on him in the first bit and this bit because you kind of just kind of like the way he's like removing her shirt and kissing her down her stomach and reveal like it's it's still hot. It's still a very sexy scene, but it's not like a. I'm going to go get some tissue sexy scene. Like, it's like, oh, look at him go. All right, let's get on to pretty woman walking down the street. Uh, so the next day when she's supposed to go shopping and she's saying, oh, I didn't like going shopping. The, the people at the stores were mean to me. And he is saying, well, how do you mean mean to? And this is when he's he's going to make her day. Now, what's great, because I, I remembered this differently. Uh, everybody kind of remembers that scene, but I thought that Richard Gere was involved and in, go back there and give them a piece of your mind. But he's not even there. And that's what makes this better because his solution is, I'll show you it's it's the businessman's point of view. And this is where this movie's more realistic. It's not like you stand up for yourself, girl. I'm gonna stand up for you. He just simply says, Listen, this is business. 
And people aren't nice to people. People are nice to credit cards or <laughs> something along those lines, which is great because they go in there. And, and he, when he basically says, we're going to be spending an obscene amount of money here. Uh, and then uh, there's like, oh, uh, how, how obscene are we talking or whatever? Uh, are we talking profane or really offensive? Richard, you're like, I'm talking really offensive. And do you know this guy? <laughs> and then that store owner. The store um, owner? UI, I don't know. So it's Larry Miller. He, um, a lot of. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Nine. So like, uh, if, if you ever saw the Nutty Professor movies, he was like the the snotty guy who like is always talking about Eddie Murphy and Ten Things I Hate For About Richard You. Richard Poor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ten Things I Hate About You. He's also Julie Styles mm. and um. Yeah, the, the other dad. girl's dad. Uh, I love him. Like I, he's one of these ones that like just pops up and things, and I haven't seen him. He's in a born while. to play a role like this. Yeah, he's always he's always uh, playing like the the snooty like what he's the one who gets yeah. raped by a hamster in Nutty Professor <laughs> Two. So remember I don't that. Remember that. Yep. I don't think I saw the Nutty Professor 2. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love where he's saying, this, I'm talking really offensive. And then as Richard Gere walks away, he's like, I like him so yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even when they're entering the store and he's basically, the, the little things where he's trying to get her to be a little bit more dignified. Like again, you think a movie like this is going to go a direction where it's like, he's trying to change her. But yeah. it's like, no, he isn't. He's just simply saying, and spit out your garbage. <laughs> the most revolting way possible. Um it, uh, it's after this when he's not even present where she goes in and tells off the shop owners from the other one of the, the clerks from the, the other store, which again is such a better way to do it because you want to have one power. He doesn't t- ever tell her to do this. She just gains a confidence is like, Oh, he taught me a lesson. They care about money. Let me show them that I got money. Right. Um, the, uh, uh, th- the thing where she's shopping and uh, she's admiring the tie Hmm. Uh, he's like, oh, he'd like that tie. And he's like, no, no, no I'm talking about that tie. He takes it right off his neck. Uh, we get more of Roy Orbison here. Uh, and um, uh, what was this? Talking about building blocks? Is there a scene about building blocks here? It's when uh, Richard Gears with Jason Alexander. Oh, this is Jason Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we don't really build yeah. or whatever things. We never build anything, yeah. yeah. Uh, which well, I was kind of uh, t- another complaint I had, minor complaint I had about this movie. I was talking about Jamie before we recorded this, and she mentioned the whole building blocks thing. And I'm like, yeah, you might actually kind of have a point there. Um, now we get the bath scene. So this is when they're both in the bath together. So this is this is Ben's dream. This is but it's, this is my dream now. <laughs> can I also just say, like, like sorry to keep interrupting, but like it's almost it's again that subtle sexiness that when mm-hmm. he walks in and she's naked with the tie. So like it goes mm. from like you know what they're about to do I and mean, that's hot like I mean if I'm coming home and I'll just say this like randomly like Julia Roberts is a very attractive woman but she's never been like a Natalie Portman like oh like you know I'd really it's, yeah this movie I'm like oh Julia Roberts like yes like if I'm yep. walking in and she's got the tie like Richard Gere's sitting there with the tie I'm like yeah all right like it's it's a it's a sexy scene and then the bath is very sexy as well. I, I was actually going to say when when we were watching well both this and Aaron Brockovich uh, we rewatched I had seen Aaron Brockovich before is that good Jamie it is a really good movie I like yeah, I, I, need I to think see it. it's it's not the best like you know true story legal you know we're going to fight for the little people movie ever but like it, it's very amusing and she is great in it uh, but both those movies when we watch it Jamie's like do you think Julia Roberts is hot and I'm like like she's attractive but I wouldn't consider her hot but like in those two movies like yeah I, I told Jamie after watching this I'm like I'm getting won over by Julia yeah, Roberts it's Leah, it's Leah Thompson <laughs> and Howard the Duck but like it's um yeah. you know definitely I think it's just and, and like can I also just say this before you talk about this bar scene the the freaking pottery scene in Ghost like oh yeah. this is so sexy so I mean okay it's a bit sexy it's a bit hot I get it but like this scene is so much sexier and hotter than the pottery I'm saying now pretty this... woman robbed in 1990 over Ghost pretty woman kicks well, Ghost's ass and and again, Ghost was a decent movie, yeah, it but it's fine. like, yeah, you're right. It, it this there's so many 
areas where I wish that every rom-com that followed this just learned the lesson. Yeah. Cause like he gets his backstory and then you have this scene with them in the bath together, but then you're actually getting his backstory yeah. and it's actually a really moving scene and you're giving depth to this character that is cold and emotionless, but his character doesn't change. He's delivering this in a cold emotionless way. Like this is where he's explaining about how, you know, he bought his dad's company and everything. Yeah. Like it's great. It just works on so many levels. Um, uh, so after this, we get the polo scene. Now, this is another one of the more famous sequences of the movie, especially when she does like the dog bark thing, where she's like, woo, 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 like that. That's in like every TV spot I've ever seen for this. Um, and uh, I, I love though when uh, she's talking, I don't know if it was with um, some of the other women or if this was with Jason Alexander or uh, somebody, oh, I think it's one of the other women saying, uh, it's like, oh yeah, he's a very eligible bachelor. Yeah, you know, the other woman. I can understand why you're trying to land. And she's, I'm not trying to land him. I'm just using him for sex. But now- Oh, can I Go just, ahead. I'll just really add, sorry. Just like, that's again what endears you to these people and this character. Because like in any, like in Titanic, that's automatically a line of, uncouth, poor <laughs> yeah. person. Whereas like straight away, this woman just kind of like, oh, I like her. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I like her attitude. We're, we're playing polo. Like, oh, but like, eh, <laughs> hilarious. Like, that's what I, again, we're just so endearing about the characters in this movie. Yeah. And uh, we're going to get to the, I guess my first defense of Jason Alexander here as well. But before I do that, so the when this polo scene with her, I'm just using him for sex or whatever, like this is the same. Her character hasn't changed either. This is no different when she was in the elevator and you had the old couple, like you mentioned the the old couple that says, Oh, for whatever, I'll I'll oh no, I think that's Kit who says that later on about the old couple. But but even Julie Roberts with like the elevator uh operator guy and Hector Elizondo, like she's like People are gonna look at me weird. I'm gonna play into it. You know, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna basically be that stereotype. And she's just having fun with it. And I think this scene, you could have had a character who's kind of feeling down on herself, which we're gonna get in a second Elizabeth with Berkeley. Know, exactly. Oh, she's down on herself for everything in that movie. They would literally be, I'm gonna give you this million dollar necklace. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> she's gonna be like, oh, <laughs> uh but uh but yeah like this is a character who never feels sorry for herself in this movie the only time she feels sorry for herself is after the jason alexander scene but it actually has more to do with richard gear than it does jason alexander which is what's great the way that she delivers this line to the woman i'm just using for sex is just her having fun you know yeah. she's probably been doing stuff like this for the last two three years however long as she's been a prostitute um jason alexander so here's my here's my defense of how this character should have been and i think is technically still in, in in the background of this movie the reason he is skeptical of vivian is because he sees new woman huh huh and you seem to be a little different yourself there yeah and she just coincidentally came in right before this meeting and she was present at the meeting with these guys and we're trying to take over the company and it's not going according to plan she's a spy this is a real thing. This is something that happens, you know? And then he actually has, he's a hundred percent, a hundred percent justified in assuming she's a spy. And you could almost explain away his treatment of her in the next thing when he says she's a hooker, that he's just playing up on it the same way. Oh, you're a hooker, huh? But he still believes she's a spy. Like there's just, they, they introduced this idea of she's a spy, which would have made his character more interesting, more redeemable, and we wouldn't have had to do the whole rapist thing later on. Like, I don't know if you you you, you would have bought it's, that in the story. It's a good point. Yes, you're right. Like, I think everything, I think everything until the point that he starts coming on to her is justified. Absolutely. I yeah. think you don't like, I, I, I don't even think this scene when he like 
starts like feeling her up a little bit is warranted. Like, cause it's, it's, I'm complaining a lot on 24 at the moment of how they just shift Logan's character out of nowhere. To me, this is like, huh, where did that come from? And then all of a sudden when yeah. he gets very rapey to me, it's just, Oh, we need a villain somehow in this movie because like, that's where I'll say one thing doesn't make sense about Richard Gere's character. It's like, well, Julie Roberts has told him what he's done. So why does he still keep him around? Like, well, hang on, dude, like just mm-hmm. cause you know, like, cause he's very defensive of her work generally at like this point, but it's yeah. But like, you're right. Like, it is kind of they. Th- that's where they need to play on that more. They need to play on the maybe mm-hmm. she's a spy. That's where the conflict comes from. And then maybe Richard Gere believes this a little bit. Like, well, hang on a minute, you did come into my life. Very convenient. Like, huh? In in nine years' time, ten years' time after this film, that's how this would have gone. Yeah. Um, whereas you know this is obviously going a different direction, which is why it's so refreshing. But you're right. But I still. It's just, I don't get this rapey turn from like, and like, it's just, it's also like, you need to show him as a sleaze. Like when he's with his wife, like you just think, oh, he's just a married man. He's nice. Cause the wife seems nice. She's fun. Yeah. Like have him like behind her back, like always flirting with other women. Like have him like being a yes. sleaze. Cause it comes out of nowhere. Justify him. Make, make it, it has to, even a villain has to make sense to the audience and his character makes no sense. Like, like we defended Billy Zane in Titanic, but like you can at least mm-hmm. see the level they're going with quote, making him evil. And then as yeah. we kind of defended Billy Zane, like there's a reason why he's evil in that movie because his wife, his fiance who he dotes over cheats on him. Like, I mean, you, you mm-hmm. shoot her and Jack. Um, whereas, and didn't love him in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Whereas all he did was love her. Like, I mean, don't slap her at breakfast outside of that. Billy Zane, good guy. <laughs> but like, yeah, like with this, it's just like, hey, how can we make Jace Alexander evil? Well, let's make him come on to Julie Roberts. And then that's where like, I think I I get like, yeah, like I'm, again, I'm jumping ahead here. I know, but like I, this is where this, again, this movie does it so well. You get Julia Roberts self doubt because she's kind of like, she's this brash, confident woman who plays into her profession and like, you know, I'm just going to make the most of this. But the times that kind of it goes too far where you see her emotions is like when the store clerks talk down to her. And then when also like, you've got like this kind of moment where like she's been made to feel cheap and you can kind of understand why, because he's, she's kind of saying to him like, well, why did you tell people I was, of course he was going to treat me like that. And then later on, she's got that great line when Richard Gere will say, I've never made you feel like you were a hooker. And then she's like, well, you did now. Like, it's like little moments like that where the vulnerabilities, and again, showgirls, this is where they, like, they didn't do it right with Elizabeth. They just went too much with her. Mm -hmm. Like, this is that vulnerable side you can have with a confident, brash personality where they, like, people like that are still vulnerable, you know? So they've still got moments where it comes through the cracks. And this is one of those moments. Starting to feel like we should have watched Showgirls after this, and maybe you would have sided <laughs> oh, with me a little bit more Colin, on that. <laughs> I mean, the month we just put up with Showgirls is a fucking masterpiece. Come on. Um, yeah, I mean the the the, the Jason Alexander thinking she's a spy thing. Like, yes, any other movie would go that direction later on, and Richard Gere would be like, "I think she is a spy," and I'm glad this movie doesn't have that. I'm glad yeah. it doesn't go that far, but it. It's so smart to give Jason Alexander to to be that voice of reason to make Richard Gere even just doubt anything, you know? Yeah. And and there's also there needs to be a reason for him to tell somebody that she's a hooker because I'm not faulting this movie for the direction they go with the next scene, their their argument to near breakup scene, because that is to me, that's the best scene of this entire movie. Mm. Uh and you needed to get here, but you could have gotten here without Richard or without Jason Alexander feeling her up and hitting on her. Yeah. And just simply been like, So you're a hooker, huh? All right, don't worry, I won't tell anybody. Uh 
And it's like, I'm just curious how much you charge. Like, even if it was just like a loose comment, you know, you don't have to make him a villain. You can still accomplish the scene the same way. But this breakup scene here, this argument is just amazing. Like the dialogue is great. It, it, it's all very realistic. It feels real. It feels very like this is a conversation to have. And especially the fact that these characters aren't supposed to be in love yet. And, and, and this is where an audience is going to feel like, oh, this is the point in the movie where the characters are in love. But like, this is day three or whatever, you know? So it, it, it it's even more realistic when she's saying, just give me my money and I'll go. And he's like, oh, well, I wish we didn't have to come to this, but here you go, you know? And he's willing to let her walk. And it's only at the last minute where he's like, you know what? I'm going to have a heart, right? And he goes and he apologizes. Uh, we get that awkward moment with the elevator guy too. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like this scene is, this could have been the Oscar clip for both of them. And not the argument, the, the apology scene with her almost walking out to me is the best part of this. And they barely say anything at all. Uh, this is where she starts to give her backstory when they're in bed, talking about her mom calling her a bum magnet. And <laughs> I definitely missed the first part of this. I'm like, she's a what? what? <laughs> she's, she's doing it how? I mean, well, she I don't know. She doesn't do no anything the, except kiss on the mouth. So. No kiss on the lips, yeah. <laughs> and that's um, how but... Colin learned what anal sex was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much this week. <laughs> so don't educated. Let listen to this episode. <laughs> Colin, I know you know what it is. Come to bed. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, they give you, this is the most sanitized version of a hooker they'll give you, you know? Oh, I tried to move away from home and I thought I'd make it out in LA and I didn't. So I decided to become a hooker and it was good money and she's got no complaints really. I mean, now I, I said that I was going to have a complaint about not this movie, but other movies. Nowadays, unless you are addressing every atrocity that exists in the real world, you can't portray any level of life. Bobby, I'm I, Barbie. There you go, right? <laughs> um, but uh, I that, had that, that for two example. hours. <laughs> I, I I appreciate how they handle that movie, but it's it's a good point. You people are expecting that now, right? And the best example of that would be something like Green Book. Everybody's so down mm. on Green Book. Green Book is Green Book the type of movie that should have won Best Picture? No, should have gotten a nomination with like ten potential nominees. Sure, why not? There's nothing wrong with Green Book. People's complaint with Green Book is. It, it didn't address the racial issues enough in that movie. It's clean. It's sanitized. And that's true, but so is Pretty Woman. Yeah. And like, I, I, I never want to hear anybody complain about Green Book doesn't address this. And like, anytime you have a movie that takes place during the Civil Rights era, the Civil War era, any civil era in U.S. history, people are always like, oh, they didn't go hard enough for this. Because not every movie needs that. It, it, Pretty Woman... If, if you were living by, you made this movie today, people would say, you have to show the dark side of this. You have to show there's a pimp and that she's abused and all that. This movie works better without it. Which, but yeah, yeah, I agree. But I also disagree in the fact when I said at the very beginning where it kind of doesn't disparage the sex work industry. And I think that that is the negative light it does get painted on, that these women only get involved in these industries because they're beaten and abused and they've got no choice. And kind of, she implies that I didn't have a choice. She kind of says that line of, Nobody grows up and wants to be a, you know, a prostitute. But like, yeah. like again, like I've known escorts. I've had conversations with them and I legitimately know escorts who have like, I wanted to do it. I like sex and I want money and it's a great industry and I enjoy it. That's They're how a- we used to get female auslets. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. That was a secret. Sorry, Kate. Sorry, and Kate. some male. <laughs> Hello, Noah. Um, <laughs> but like, did you just call Kate a prostitute? <laughs> Sorry, Whoa. Kate. I apologize. No, no, no. I was, the apology, <laughs> the apology was I'm not implying you're a prostitute, Kate. That apology was you are not. Heather, I'm not offended that you offend her. 
I don't know uh, if she's making money in that trade, but oh hell no. Uh, the apology <laughs> was, Kate. I don't want you to hang up on me again. I took enough wow. abuse. The apology was, you are not a prostitute. I, I that was a joke. It was not intended towards you, Kate. Damn, uh, <laughs> poor Kate. <laughs> I could have listed at least three other of our. We only had four female Aussies, I think. But um, you know, I mean, Kate had the experience. She could have made some money, but she didn't. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean she had the experience? What level oh, are you talking about? We, we we talked about this recently. There was nobody on the uh, the Survivor Oz who was dirtier than Kate on the air. <laughs> You're just talking about there's no one in Survivor who didn't sleep with Kate. Like, what are you no. implying? <laughs> then twisting everything around here. Kate's gonna come down and kill me. <laughs> I think she is. Um, I'm afraid of Kate. I'm putting this on the best of now so she might hear it. Oh, no, Kate. <laughs> Kate, I never said it. <laughs> I might just meant to mask your voice right now all of a sudden and be like, I didn't say it. My name is Troy. Wow. I took a it direction. Troy. <laughs> that man's Troy. a prostitute. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Dirty bugger. Troy. Um, But, like, no, what I'm trying to say is that, like, it, 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 I think it's betrayal of prostitution is done in a, a tame manner. Like it's kind of what I was trying to imply in showgirls about the stripping industry. Like these are industries that always just have such a negative connotation. And yes, there mm. are negative, like that's where I like, I agree with what you're trying to do with racism, but I can't find a positive, uh, you know, connotation for racism. Well, those South Africans, they sure <laughs> did it right. Um, but like, oh god there's a quote that i'm glad i don't have to get isolated from but like it's it's they do it in a way where again there are people in this industry who do it as a legitimate living and enjoy it uh so Mm. like it's 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 a fine balance but i also do see where you're going that again i like the movie green book and i don't think the criticisms for it are fair because i think now forrest gump in retrospect gets some of that sort of like yeah. brush painting of it ah yeah tame this is like movies can be tame we don't have to explore every and again that exactly. was my issue with barbie i don't like two hours of stuff being shoved down my throat i hate preach that's what i hate if you want to mm-hmm. sell the message of a patriarchy issue in barbie do it but don't tell me for two hours that men are dicks and women are amazing women are amazing and men are dicks i know that i'm a man women can also be dicks too just saying but my point is do it subtly, do it in a way yeah. that can be entertaining and not make you leave the cinema going, oh, God, well, ugh. I feel like I want to take a bath, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this movie you want to take with a Richard bath. Gere with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. yeah. <laughs> you want to jump in there with the bubbles. That's a threesome uh, that I think most people would be okay with. I'm, I'm on board. If, if well, I was going to say if you are, but then that would be four. So, uh. I, Colin, the one time I say I would gladly watch you have sex is in a foursome with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. <laughs> And that's how Colin learned what a foursome was. Uh, back to the movie here. We get uh, him giving her the the necklace, which he says is borrowed. And I, again, hadn't seen this movie in decades. Uh, I thought this was going to be another plot point of the movie where she was going to somehow, you know, get accused of stealing this necklace Titanic. by Jason Alexander. Yeah, that's what I honestly thought they were going with. Because he even says, this is borrowed and it's worth half a million dollars or half a billion dollars or whatever it is. Uh, but this is the opera scene. This is another one of the more, more famous scenes in the movie. Her fiddling with, like, again, like, these little things. I almost wish this movie had more of the little bits of comedy. Like, I'm not saying that this, it's not a 100% perfect movie. It's really good for what it is. But if I had anything I would change about this movie, it would be add a little bit more of these comic moments of her mm. being awkward. 
like where she's fumbling with the glasses. Oh, mine are broken. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 it's this way. But this is where uh, it's, it's then, more of like the the, the Oscar, like because like, it is a romantic comedy, but like it's eighty yeah. percent drama, twenty percent comedy. There's not a lot of comedy in this if you really unpack it. It's, it's gonna be. I'm, I'm gonna be very curious. I think that it's good we have this lead, and when we get to Sleepless in Seattle next week, because Sleepless in Seattle feels very similar to this in that way. Uh, but then we get probably the the, the best line Julius Roberts has in this movie here, uh, when they're all applauding the opera, and she's had a tear in her eye, and the lady's saying, "Oh, you enjoyed it. It was so good. I almost peed my pants." <laughs> and then he's like, uh, "She says she really. It's the best thing she's seen since Pirates of Penzance." <laughs> I love uh, that bit. She convinces him to take a day off work. I mean, I could basically, I think, just go to the end of the movie at this point. Yeah, um, basically convince him to take a day off work. Jason Alexander's not happy about it. Uh, we we get them kissing, so now it's become personal on the mouth. And that's how Colin learned what mouth kisses are. Thank you. Uh, we get there the last day. So, um, but by the way, this whole montage, there's, there's an extra scene here. I should talk about that. So the extra scene after the montage, uh, first of all, this montage was longer. And I mean, this is something that, this is one of the points where I kind of grown in the movie because I'm like, there's like three or four of these montages and I'm just, it's because it's been so overdone. I'm not blaming this movie. It kind of one of the movies that originated, but like, I don't want to see any montages in movies. movie. <laughs> like it's one of these outdated things that just nobody does this anymore. Uh, but there's extra stuff in the montage that's not even in this. Uh, but uh, after this ended, there's a scene where they're driving back to the hotel and they're driving past the club that the that nightclub where they open the movie at and she says um i think my roommate's in there can i go talk to her can we pull over richard goes sure fine they pull over into the alley they go inside and this is where she actually goes this is how we we know that the money was never picked up by kit because she goes in she's asking the bartender where's kit and he says um i mean I, I haven't seen her she she went off to santa barbara said something like she was off in santa barbara for a couple of days and she says okay when she gets back tell her to come to this hotel I've got something at the desk for her. So she's still waiting for this to be picked up. Uh, and then when they go outside, you've got these guys that basically almost assault her. They're, they're cornering her. I think by the time she walks outside, they've already cornered Richard Gere. And they're harassing him. And then they're asking Julia Roberts for $200. Now, it's not $300, so it's not the landlord. <laughs> the, the the guy from Friends or whatever didn't send <laughs> uh, his goons after. Yeah, but uh, Richard Gere is saying, what's this $200? And Julia Roberts is like, it's my roommate. These guys are drug dealers. So there's this extra plot about how Kit now has spent even more money and is $200 in debt and Julia Roberts has to pay it off, which is why I'm going to have so many complaints with Kit for the rest of this movie. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have watched the deleted scenes. Oh, you need that, but, though. Uh, like, any deleted scene you've told me, I'm like, I'm glad that wasn't in the movie. You don't need that. No, personally, I think I would have rather had this than the pimp scene earlier on. I think I think it just it adds a little bit more excitement to the movie. It, it makes yeah. it... I, I, it makes well. I'll get to it in the next scene. Why I think I would prefer. But that. I just think it's but, a uh, conflict. Like this is this is like a real positive. I think with this movie is that there's not a lot of conflict. You're just spending a lot of yeah, time on but, these two getting in love, and that's what I I appreciate that the the like that would just feel forced conflict. But I feel even with those scenes, you don't have conflict. In, it's just something there to add to the characters, you know? Because the the moment we get out of this Richard Gear would have been like the best part in the movie where he starts to show a little bit of personality and fun. Where these guys are all of a sudden pulling out knives and they're pulling out crowbars and stuff like that. Not he's almost mocking. He well, he's basically mocking them kind of like that. It's like, what are you gonna do? Like, like, you know, uh, poke me with your little knife and wrap that chain around my neck and try to strangle me. And he says, Let me show you guys. I know some magic. You guys want to see a magic trick? He goes, This is magic. And he does like this ta-da with his hands. And all of a sudden his limo driver pulls back his coat and he's got a gun there. Hmm. And then the guys are all like, all right, all right, we'll back off. It's it's like this moment where Richard Gere is kind of standing up. You know, 
this guy, you know, this is not the first time he's been in a neighborhood like this. And again, it's going the opposite direction of what you think when a scene like this happens. It's going to be the rich guy. I didn't realize that there were such terrible things that went on in this world. But instead, he's like, I know how to handle myself. I'm rich. You know, I got backup. And he even says a line here. He's like, and by the way, he has a permit for that, which is like <laughs> such a Richard Gere. And I know that because I'm an only child and him adding in the permit. It's just, which, I love, love Which that. can we just point out is the limo driver, the only non-white person in this film. This is a very white movie. <laughs> I mean, Hector Elizondo is, uh, he's of some ethnicity. I'm guessing he's Latino. Uh, uh, I'm trying to find it here. Um, I'm not getting it. I got into trouble when I did with Rosario Spanish Dawson. Spanish descent. When I said Puerto Rosario Rican, Dawson was yeah. black and she's Latino, so apologies about that. Yeah. But, um, no, like, but I, mean, I think she's Puerto Rican and so is Hector Elizondo. So they're both black. <laughs> again, this is this is one of those uh, 2023 lenses that like the one issue with this movie, maybe it's a very wide, but not, not a very diverse cast in this film. Yeah. But I mean, we're dealing with the, the rich white man. That's what this movie's about, right? Well, you saved yourself. Uh, I thought you were about to say we're dealing with rich people, Ben. There's no, they're all white. Like, like oh, Colin, <laughs> careful. Uh, so where am I at here? Yeah, there was the deleted scene, uh, and um, the next day, uh, they, which is their last day, this is where he offers. Uh, oh, I really enjoyed myself with you. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to be going back to New York City, and I would like to give you an apartment and a weekly allowance. And again, he's he plays like a businessman. Yeah. And she's getting not offended. She's just getting kind of realistic about this, saying like like I, I'm not like on call for you. Like a, she's saying you don't have to do this. I can take care of myself. I don't need you protecting me. But it's also like, does that mean I'm still your employee? Like like what is this? And he, I think, he even has a line here where he's saying like, this is the only way I know how to show affection or something like that. Um, like, there you go. This is, this is me. And that's how <laughs> Colin learned what affection was. Yes. <laughs> but he's basically offering all this stuff. And, and he even says this would get you off of the streets. And she says, this isn't just about geography or whatever. And she tells the story about the, the night fantasy she used to have. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> the line she has in the end is that, come on, baby, I'll put you in a great condo. Is it, uh, it, it didn't end with the night saying, come on, baby, I'll put you in a great condo. Uh, we get uh, one more meeting here with the uh, the grandpa. This is where Jason Alexander is in the meeting, and he asks them all to leave the room. Uh, and um, uh, he essentially says, I want to help you with your company. I don't know if he's saying he's going to be investing in it. He's still going to be buying the company, but he's keeping the business. I think he's he just says, I'm going to be helping you. I think, like, he, I think I he's going to come in as a silent partner or something. Well, yeah, I think he's still going to buy it, but he's going to, rather than dissolve it, he's going to continue like, yeah, to help them do what they do in selling ships because eventually, you know, the reason they're doing this is because they're losing money, but he's going to help them make money. And that's why Jason Alexander is so shitty because, like, if they had to dissolve a company, they would have made, like, a billion dollars, but doing it this way, they're not going to make as much money. Yeah. I mean, they don't say they're not going to make any money. They're no, they're still, still going to make, make money. It's just more of, like, a... I don't know. It'd be like if, if McDonald's went bankrupt and rather than dissolving McDonald's into a thousand different restaurants, you still help them sell hamburgers, but you might make more money dissolving them. But have you ever seen The Founder? That's it's a like, great movie. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that movie. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like when we when we dissolved Survivor Oz. You know, we made a certain amount off of Kate and a certain amount off of Troy, and it wasn't all equal. <laughs> oh, sorry, Kate. Troy. Sorry, <laughs> that man uh, and his business. Just oh, he's a rich man. We're still waiting to make money off Alan Flockhart. <laughs> Penny he's in Sydney right yet. now. I can go find him. So we go make some money off of that but guy, James Pickering. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, he's worth a pretty penny. Uh, he's a, he's the, a, he's I do love the with, where um, Jason Alexander here. He, I'm not going to say he throws. He actually brings up a valid point when 
uh, Richard Gere asks him to leave. He goes, well, why does he get to stay? It's <laughs> like the grandson. It's a valid point. Cause then they're like the grandson can leave too. Uh, but I mean, this is Richard Gere's moment. I feel like there's a second part of the scene that we're missing, which will come up in a second. Um, now we get Kit arriving at the the hotel, and this, yeah, she's the one who has the line here about uh, uh, fifty dollars for the grandpa, seventy five, and the wife can watch or whatever. <laughs> Again, she's funny, but like this, if Jason Alexander's a villain in this movie, so is Kit, and they just they don't bother to go there for some reason. Um, so we get uh, Richard Gere now cutting back and forth between Julia Roberts and with Kit at the hotel where she's basically saying, oh, I was offered all this money and everything. And uh, I don't I don't know. And she's basically, saying, oh, I think you actually like this guy. And then we get Richard Gere, who's walking barefoot in the park again. And obviously something's changing. He's feeling he's feeling feelings he's never feel, felt before. They're called emotions. Uh, <laughs> Colin. And that's how Colin learned what emotions were. <laughs> uh so this is where Jason Alexander shows up and rapes Julia Roberts. Uh, okay, so <laughs> all the things that they felt like weren't appropriate in this movie. We don't want to show that there are pimps in this world. We don't want to show that their main character could have been a drug addict, but let's have the businessman rape a woman for no reason whatsoever. This scene, I, I played this over to Jamie. This is the way I could would have done it differently. So I'm going to, I'm going to basically what happens here is he comes He's holding her to blame for this. He's not saying she's a spy. He just decides he wants to rape her. Richard Gere comes in. He tosses Jason Alexander around, tells him, get out. And that's it. Now, this is my dream version of how the scene plays out. Jason Alexander comes in. He expects to find Richard Gere. He doesn't find. He finds Vivian. He starts unloading on her, saying, you know, you ruined our business deal. You're you're ruining him. We're all going to be broken in a couple of years. He's giving all the valid reasons his character has because this, she is the red flag. He's got red flags. This is the one guy who's supposed to be looking out for him. And he's giving off all his red flags because he's the only person who hasn't actually been exposed to this woman. Not in that way. Uh, but he hasn't been exposed enough to her to, you know, be won over or charmed by her. And he's saying, you're going to ruin us all. You know, you're, you're leeching onto him for his money. He's getting it all wrong. So he's still saying the same things. Richard Gere comes in. Maybe he starts, I'm not saying he physically gets an altercation with her, but he's yelling at her. Richard Gere comes in. He comes to her defense. And it, the scene then becomes about Richard Gere telling off Jason Alexander. And it, you haven't seen Rocky Four, but it's like a famous Rocky Four speech at the end. It's like, if I can change, you can change. Everyone can change. Like, I'm not, you don't have to go too over the top of it, but there's no moment in this movie where we get to hear Richard Gere actually state why he's changing, what he's done that's wrong, other than the quick scene with the grandpa. For him to say, listen, I think that we can still make money and just do it in a more ethical way and not ruin people's lives. This should be partly a moment for Jason Alexander to be justified, but also partly a moment for Richard Gere to explain why he's doing it. Because otherwise, without that, I feel like you still finish this movie feeling like this is a guy who's going through a midlife crisis and not this is a guy who's changed his way of thinking. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I think the only thing that I would disagree with, which I'll come to when you finish off the movie, there's a there's a there's a way that this movie kind of has the cliche these two aren't going to be together anymore let's bring them together in an over the top romantic scene that works better than most romantic movies so like i i think i agree with that i think that uh, yeah there's a level of that because 
I feel what they would probably do in like a late 90s, early 2000s movie is they would have this kind of like scene where Jason Alexander comes in and goes like, you know, he's only using you, right? You're doing this, you're doing that. And then she storms off in a half and Richard Gere's like, what did you do that for? That's not true. And then he's running after mm-hmm. her like, you know, and then it's a big romantic scene. Kind of like Notting Hill. You're going to see that Notting Hill in a couple of weeks. That's kind of what happens with the conflict between Hugh Grant and Julie Roberts in that movie and Hugh Grant's got to save the day. Um, but like, it's kind of... It's weird that I'm thinking of two movies, two Adam Sandler movies that did this in a way that could have worked where like, cause again, like I'm with you, Jason Alexander's kind of justified to be a bit annoyed because like this woman's come into this guy's life. They've been making money. This is how they've always done it. And now he's slightly changed. So he's got a right to be aggrieved. Just don't go raping people at the end of it. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I get pissed all the time. I don't rape people at the end of it. Who am I? Try not saying Troy, uh, Ben Powell. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I can say that, can't I? Uh, we don't like him. Um, so he said worse things about me. I can call him a rapist. Whatever, that's fine. Um, but th- like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, right? Think about Shooter McGavin and um, Bradley Whitford's character, right? They've both got legitimate reasons to be aggrieved of, of why like Shooter McGavin, like he's the hotshot golfer, like he's finally going to win the tour jacket and then comes this fucking... Knobhead Happy Gilmore, right? And then, you know, uh, Bradley Whitford, he's going to finally take over the Gilmore, uh, the Billy Madison estate. But then, oh, no, his son's going to go and, like, learn high school in, like, three weeks. Then they take it a little bit too far by, like, hey, Mr. I believe that's Mr. Gilmore's when, like, Jaws is running after him and then, like, Bradley Whitford, like, I can't remember what happens to him at the end of that movie. He, like, doesn't he pull a gun on them at the end and try and shoot Billy Madison, I think? Yeah, that's right, because then, um, oh, what's his face? Old, um... Oh, very, very famous actor who's always in Adam Sandler movies. Steve Buscemi. Uh, he then yeah, shoots Buscemi. Bradley Whitford. Anyway. I'm going to say Bob Barker. <laughs> oh, rest By the way, peace. rest in peace, Bob Barker. I, I, you, have you, I thought have he was already dead, where... to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same thing Jamie said to him. Like, oh, I'm surprised he was still I thought he was gone years ago. I thought he died before Betty White did. But yeah, rest in but peace. There's, there's this hilarious thing. I, I've seen it several places now on Facebook or whatever where uh, somebody was posting about rest in peace, Bob Barker died today at 99 and somebody's reply on it was like, that's like my man uh, uh, did exactly as he should do. He got as close as he yeah. could to a dollar. Actually, the <laughs> one that over. I saw that. It was the one that I kept seeing too, was that obviously for like comedy central, I didn't realize that Bob Barker and Adam Sandler kind of did like a sequel to happy Gilmore where like Bob oh, Barker's in hospital and then they just get into a massive fight in hospital. Like it's real, like it's similar to happy Gilmore, right? Where they punch the shit out of each other. But if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's like a Comedy Central clip that they did. It's like the sequel to... Yeah, anyway, it's very funny. But um, where was I going with that? Uh, Bob Barker, how do we get to that? Ben Powell is a... Um, Bradley a Whitford, the way well, that yeah, they... Yeah, the way they did that. Like, it's kind of like, that's where I see maybe that's where they could have gone in a little bit because then it's sort of like taking a character who, in a lot of ways, if we ever unpack Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, you can understand why they're pissed off. But it's just yeah. what they do. So, like, I yeah, I definitely agree. You could have done this differently, but I'll get to my point about why. I, I mean, I hate this. I hate Jason Alexander all of a sudden becoming a rapist. It makes no sense. But like, I I like the way the the way these two separate and come back together is something different that we don't usually see. It's more natural, not the raping. Thing. Yeah, I, I think that it's more natural than rape. <laughs> we had episode titles more natural than rape. <laughs> wow. Um, we get in trouble for prostitution in this movie. You get in trouble for everything else. More natural than uh, rape. Um, that's a <laughs> sentence that should never be said. Uh, um, wow. The, 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 I'll agree with you. The, the breakup scene here 
is so good because again, I was expecting this to go a different direction, you know, where he's begging her to stay and oh, I've learned I've changed, I'm a changed man. And then she's like, I No, can change, this I isn't can change. Work. It's South Park, maybe. It, 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 yeah, it's it's just totally different though. Uh, this is a very pleasant goodbye where he hands her his business card, you know, and she's basically explaining, you know, I, I want more. It's Roger. not about money. I want more. And he even says, I, do you understand that? He says, I invented the concept of wanting more. Uh, she says she wants this fairy tale. Uh, so he basically says, well, it was a pleasure doing business with you. I wish you well in your future endeavors. <laughs> uh, and it's this very pleasant goodbye. Like they're, they're not mad at each other. Just like, yeah, it wasn't meant to be. All right, let's move on. Uh, and that's, that's the exact right way you should do something like this. Like it doesn't all need to be these Hallmark movies where there's some crazy misunderstanding and then, you know, everybody's jumping to conclusions. Um, the, uh, also the only time we ever had an argument between these characters, I didn't even realize this is like halfway into the movie. Mm. So movies, you can do this without having that big drama and conflict for your climax. You know, you have one moment of conflict halfway through the movie and then the rest of it's, it's better than everything else that came after this. Uh, so she's leaving the hotel and Hector Lozano gets a nice goodbye with her. Um, the, uh, he's got the guy who's cleaning up the scuff marks and everything. I love that. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm not saying you did, sir, but you need to clean it up. I love that. Delegating authority. Uh, and then he says goodbye to her, which is such a great moment. Like for a guy who's got a couple of scenes in this movie, like he's so good at this. It's the full circle moment where too, when he like says, and you're welcome back anytime. Cause he said, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. And he got nominated for a golden globe too, Hector. So, oh, well deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she drives off to rock sets. It must have been love. Oh, now, what a song! Uh, I. It, it is a good song. Like, here's love the thing. Roxette. My 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 sister listened to rock sets so much growing up that like all I would ever hear was rock set playing from her every single morning. She'd be belting out the songs, and I'd be groaning and rolling my eyes. Uh, Says the guy listening to the Go Go's. The Go Go's are quality. <laughs> that's. A, I don't know. The rock 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 no, I'm not. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Roxette. You know, it's. I'm just simply saying because all I had to do is hear every Roxette song every single morning, played at full volume as I'm trying to get ready for school, and my sister's, you know, putting on her makeup and blasting Roxette and singing it. <laughs> I had that, that with my like. I mean, my sister. Did, uh, my sister, like, I mean, I mean, I like the Smashing Pumpkins, but she was that all the time with the fucking Smashing Pumpkins. I think you mentioned that too. Yeah, just yeah. getting sick of it. But I mean, it, it's a very good song. I I, I don't know whether was this for this movie or was no, this song? Out well, I, I read it. It was released in '87, but they I think this only went to number oh, okay. one because of this movie. But um, yeah, what's it? The, my favorite Roxette song is "She's Got the Look." Da-na-na-na-na. Yeah, it's a great song. Da-na-na-na-na. For Joyride. Oh, yeah. Hello, you fool. I love you. Yeah. What a great opening to a song. Can I just keep <laughs> saying? I keep getting popped up on my Facebook that Belinda Carlisle is here in like two months. And they've just oh, added so a, lucky. they've just added a second show because the first one sold out. And I'm just tempted, Colin, because they play like the you montage of like her songs. I'm like, gosh, she's got some good songs. He, he, I'll send you Peter Gabriel singing Sledgehammer next week, and you send me Blinda Carlisle singing Heaven's a Place on Earth. Ooh, heavens! Actually, what well, the summer rain? I think I'm a summer rain guy. Oh, mad about you. There's another good one. That's a good show. Uh, and she Hunt. did any Paul Reiser. It is great, great show. <laughs> Hank Azaria too. Oh, that's right. Isn't <laughs> that? Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> there. Richard Kind. <laughs> Kirstie Alley. You don't no, know she Richard Kind. <laughs> Richard Kind. He's that guy. He's that guy. I mean, he was on Spin City as well. Uh, mad about you. But he's that guy that there are all those memes about when Colin Farrell 
got hired for Batman, they could have just saved the money and all the time in the makeup chair and hired Richard Kind instead. That's right. Well, he was he does a voice uh, at the moment in Big Mouth, so he's in that a little bit. Oh, I haven't seen that. I, I have a feeling you, I wouldn't understand it from what I heard. <laughs> yeah. You don't think you would get Big Mouth. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so she decides she's going to go and finish school with all this money she's made. She gives Kit a scholarship, and we get this nice ending. Kit, Kit has blown every dollar. When they're on the verge <laughs> of being kicked out, no, like they're on the verge of losing their apartment, getting beat up by drug dealers, getting <laughs> shot by pimps, and everything. And she hands Kit what is it like two thousand of her dollars? This is like that's half of her money she gives her right here. Kit's just going to blow it on heroin and something stupid. Meanwhile, Kit's like, oh, I'm going to start a beauty school. I'm like, yeah, sure you are, Kit. She's Um, not Ben Powell. She's got chances in life. (laughs) There's still a chance for her. Uh, Be a Troy, not a Ben Powell. (laughs) Make something with yourself. Be a Kate. (laughs) Be a Kate, Kate. yeah. (laughs) Hashtag be a Kate. Happy birthday, Noah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, we do what we got to do. We got at the end, our end of the year episode actually have a montage of all the happy birthday noise. Oh, <laughs> like, I will say that at the beginning of this year, I compiled a montage of and props to Brendan Fraser, which is on our best of. Oh, good. I didn't think about the happy birthday noise. It's too much work for that. Just for, oh, we, all, we just started today. It's not going to be that hard. Oh, well, I didn't timestamp them. All right. I'm not, <laughs> I don't have the time to listen to this. I've got 48 other podcasts I host. Come on. You do it. Uh, <laughs> I will. Go on then. Maybe. Get the double uh, loss seven episode <laughs> in this episode and the other 24 episodes. If you do it, you can send it to me. Otherwise, don't ask for it. Uh, I won't do it. <laughs> Sorry, Noah. You're not that important to yeah, us. You're really not, Noah. Shut up. Uh, the movie basically ends with this famous scene with uh, her getting ready to leave and Richard Gere buying the flower from the street vendor and driving up in his limo and doing the whole night thing, climbing up the... Uh, fire escape, you know, the the happy ending of the night coming up and him being afraid of heights. Um, it, it's it's very cheesy, but like I like everything else in this movie, the things that are cheesy in this movie are cheesy because of how much it was overdone after this. This, still considering how old this movie is, I think handles it so much better than every movie after this. But there you go, Pretty Woman, good movie, good ending. Good God, Richard Gere, what a man. You didn't mention Kenny G before, by the way, when she's sitting there. Oh, that's the right. Tire. I mentioned we, it. We because you you mentioned to me about that's Kenny. the song of the year. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the the necklace scene when he gives her the necklace. The famous thing about that is when he like closes it, and like she reacts. That was all ad lib. That was that was a natural Julia Roberts reaction. That was always one of those things when you like here in Australia we had like a countdown show called Twenty to One, and it would be like. Top 20, like, ad-libbed movie movements or something like that. They would always, like, you know, that would always be on that. So that, that was that crazy laugh of hers. <laughs> yeah, which is just, like, one of those, like, scenes, which, again, never having seen this movie. And then I think, like, her in that red dress. Can I just say, damn, Julia Roberts in that red dress is sexy. Um, Like, I think that dress was, like, voted as, like, one of the most sexiest Hollywood movie dresses and was, like, auctioned really, really high and something along those lines. Um, I mean, really, outside of all the things that I chimed in on already sort of throughout this um, like, yeah, you're right. The, the sort of the fight scene, the conflict scene, you know, again, like just watching tr- so many of these movies and just movies in general with tropes, you, you think this is going to go a different way. They're going to be apart for the next six months and they're going to have to come back together. And, you know, like again, but it doesn't go that direction. They, they resolve this fight straight away in a very natural way. Like it's just, it just works. And then like her at the opera and just like things like that, just kind of like, well, have you ever been to an opera? It's one of those things that like, I've never been, but like, I'd love to just like go, just dress up in a tux and I, go to an opera one time. I don't know why I want to do it. It's not my scene, but I just I would like to try it one time. 
the closest I had was um, we in school, they actually took us to see Swan Lake, the ballet, but nothing like an opera. Well, it was funny you say that because I was about to mention, I remember when I was in New Zealand with a certain person, which shall not be mentioned, she enjoyed Swan Lake. So, um, no, she enjoyed the Nutcracker. That was a thing that she would always see. And then we had a Russian production of Swan Lake come to the town in New Zealand. I was in Invercargill and I interviewed like the Russian woman who was the lead. So they gave me tickets. And I'm like, hey, I like Black Swan, Natalie Portman. It's the same, right? And so we like got dressed up and we went to the ballet and it was fine. Like it's not, you know, something I'd go all the time. But like symphony, like random. Like I remember being dragged all the time as a kid. My sister was in like a youth orchestra and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm 12. I'm going to the, I wasn't even 12. I was like 10. Going to the fucking board. But then, like, when Noah and I went to see Mary sing the themes of Bond, and then currently I see they're advertising, like, there's a there's another Bond Symphony Orchestra thing in Sydney, but I think in December I could go see the Sydney Symphony Orchestra at the Opera House perform the hits of John Williams. And I'm like, well, that's tempting. That sounds fun. I'd go do that. Uh, but I don't know. Opera is something that I would like to dress up. When I was in New York, I think I looked it up. I'm like, New York City. I'm going to go to the opera. Like, I probably wouldn't be able to afford it, but I went to Broadway a lot. Saw Deborah Messing. She's great. Um... But, like, just everything that kind of comes from this, again, is, like, I guess I'm expecting there to be this big, like, conflict that draws these two apart and there has to be this big romantic gesture at the end. Again, Notting Hill will do it. You will see it. There's this big thing that draws them apart. And then we've got, like, the famous bit of Hugh Grant at the end, like, trying to get back to win her back. Um, like, things like that. I mean, You've Got Mail doesn't really do it, does it? You've Got Mail is more of a the reveal of them, of the people who are talking to each other, is it? There's not really a... Yeah. There's, there's a, I mean, there's kind of but, like, there's a conflict in the movie itself because these two hate each other, but they're secretly in, falling in love with each other. So that's a unique one. The conflict in that is different too because one of them kind of knows and the other one doesn't. So yeah. it's handled completely differently, yeah. And I think the thing that works in this movie is like, as you say, kind of this natural like understanding of them coming to the end of this relationship. I mean, I'm not even going to talk about Jason Alexander getting rabies. The only thing that is missing from that scene to me and how it is shown is when Richard Gere punches him and kicks him out, he needs to go, you're fired. Like that's what he needs to say. Like it's implied, I guess. But like, like Richard Gere, like offering her this apartment, like you're right. Like it's natural. Like he doesn't know it. Cause he even says a line when he says like, I'm always in like complicated relationships or something. And he kind of says a bit earlier in the film, he's like, well, this is all I can offer at the moment. So like, again, you kind of get that perspective of where he's at. And she kind of has that throwaway line when she's laying in bed with him saying, I love you. And then kind of, he obviously kind of listens to it and you know, whatever, but like, doesn't say anything. Yeah. Even the way, like, again, you would feel in a modern rom-com that like, him saying like, this is the end of our transaction. She's going to storm out and be like, you don't want to say anything else to me, you know, whatever. I'm like, there'd be some more of a conflict, but it's very natural and controversial opinion. I love the ending of this movie. And of course it's a romantic comedy. You have to get them to get together. You could have ended this movie with them not getting together. Like I know you hate the movie, but swept away was a unique ending in that they didn't end up together. Right? Like that was kind of the very unique way that movie ended that you weren't expecting that. So like you, I, I, I weirdly would have been okay with these two not getting together. It's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. that was a fun week. They've both learnt, like she's become a little bit more, you know, like not street savvy and he's become a little bit yeah. more relaxed and all that. Like it would have worked. But like, this is again what I like about what this does. Because you're right. Like this is a movie where almost these tropes and cliches are built on. It's like when you watch James Bond, like you watch the older Dr. Nose and all those kind of stuff. 
And then you watch Austin Powers, you're like, well, you can see why they're parroting this because this is what mm-hmm. set the tone for the villain declaring the plan while the, you know, James Bond is tied up. Like, that's where it began. It has to begin somewhere. So this is where it begins. But, like, the fact that there's this big romantic gesture of them getting together almost when they're both okay with having split up, whereas this is not what happens. You have yeah. to have one person, like... Random movie that jumps to mind, Maid of Honor, Patrick Dempsey and the the um the Mission Impossible woman, Michelle Monaghan. You know, like I mean, and I I'd love to read. I like I enjoy that movie, but I'm sorry, based on recent experience, Patrick Dempsey and Michelle Monaghan, terrible people. Don't leave the poor Scottish guy at the altar. If you know you're in love with each other, tell them before you get married. Um, yeah, <laughs> doesn't age well for Ben Waterworth. But um, <laughs> well, let it out, Ben. <laughs> Um, but just the way this kind of happens, because even like this sort of big romantic gesture, what, what's the, um, uh, John Cusack movie where he holds the boom box Say up? anything. Yeah. Like, like all these cliches that we know of, right? Like even him showing up to her window and just playing opera and kind of sitting at the thing, it's still done in a manner where there's no desperation. Like literally mm-hmm. Hector Gonzalez is just like, Oh, by the way, the limo driver knows where she lives. Okay, like that scene's so sweet between the two of them when she's he's like, isn't it so hard to have to let something so beautiful, like, you know, go so suddenly? <laughs> like, it's just, it's so sweet. And then even just this whole thing of him jumping out and going up to the thing, it's like, it's it's cliche, but it's, it's like, this is how the cliche should be. Like, it's just, it's natural. And again, going back into what I keep saying, it feels normal. It feels natural. Like, it's sort of like a... It's not, oh, they're about to board the plane. I better grab them before they get there. I'm going to lose them forever. It's not friends. Like, I didn't get on the plane. Like, oh, Ross and Rachel are together. Like, it's it's things like that, which had their place, but it's not so cheesy. Like, you've got mail. It it was you. Like, I, I wanted it to be you. I knew I it was you. It to be I, you yeah. like, I mean, it's sweet. Like, I get it. You get those heart. Like, oh, like, look at it. But even this is just done in a way. Like, I'm, I'm looking at it now, like the cheesy Richard Gibbett where he kind of puts his arms out. And he's like, like, it's me. Um, but it's just, I don't know. Like, it's just done in such a nice way. And then, like, I've got to say, the perfect ending for me, they kiss, fades to black. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't, no, 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 no. A pretty woman walking down the street. Like, that's where you sell your movie on the song. Like, the perfect usage. You can't call a movie Pretty Woman and not use something that we know, right? So um, there needed to be more of the band Rush in the movie Rush. That would have worked out well. (laughs) (laughs) Closer to the heart. (laughs) There needed to be more Seattle. There needed to be more Nirvana in Sleepless in Seattle. (laughs) Maybe there is. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's just such a great way to end the movie. I can't believe I love this movie so much, Colin. um, You mentioned Say Anything there, which if if there's – any movie, any rom-com uh, that I would pick over any movie we're covering this month, it would be say anything. Like, I love that Never movie. And that, that movie is like, it, it is like, it is that movie is a masterpiece. Like if there ever there was a rom-com that like, yes, this movie should win best picture. It would be say anything. Uh, say anything kind of has a different ending too, where it's like, oh, you think it's this love story. And then you get like the final moment of the final scene. You're like, wait a second. Are they going to like, like, this is, I don't think this is going to work out for them. <laughs> you know, It's not like the, the movie ends with them like, oh, they're going to break up. But it's like, it's one of these things where you're like, oh, I thought that I was totally suckered in by this love story. And they're like, hold on a second. I don't have a good feeling here, you know? I, and I, th- I think, but I also think like on that, like so many of these romantic comedies or any sort of romance movies where the couple in the end gets together, like if you legitimately analyze it, 
you know they're not going to work out. Like we said that about Twister. Yeah. Like, you know, it's great that Helen Hunt and Bill Pat, but like they're just going to be fighting again and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like this is one of those few movies that if you really analyze, I mean, you don't need a sequel to Pretty Woman. We've never got one, thankfully. There was a Broadway show, but like they've never done a sequel. Oh. I can see these two being happily together. Like it's yeah. like you've got mail. Yeah, probably. Don't know about some, but like I will say this about Notting Hill. There's a scene at the end of Notting Hill where like it kind of implies to me that like, have they been together happily ever after? Like, there's kind of a nice scene of them where you see them sort of in the future, but there's this, like, moment where you see Hugh Grant kind of being dragged into the Hollywood limelight, and you're like, this guy is so uncomfortable being famous. <laughs> so, like, sometimes I can picture with Notting Hill, no matter how much I love that film, I'm like, do they last? <laughs> Whereas this, well, I'm like, they last. They're together for a long that, time. That's actually one of my favorite things to do whenever watching movies like this is to realistically look at it and be like, there's no way that they lasted. Like like Titanic, yeah. if if Leonardo DiCaprio lived, no. they're broken up a year later, right? Yeah. Uh, or 10 years later, at some point, they're not lasting. Uh, with this movie, I completely got that. I'm like, yeah. And, and I'm already partway into Sleepless in Seattle at the time we're recording this. And having seen that movie before, I'm kind of looking at it through that lens as well. Like, are they going to last? I'm like, ah, oh, maybe. You know, I, I think it's fun to do that movies, But uh the odd time you're it's only the odd time you get it where you actually really look at it objectively and you're like yes this couple stays together i believe as as mismatched as they are that if you did a sequel to this 30 something years later they're still together well one thing like i mean you know my big fat great wedding was fine and the sequel was fine but mm -hmm. like it's sort of like the fact you kept them together still was natural like you felt they would be together and that's sort of what they sort of turned that in i mean Again, I love Titanic, but like I think that's why Titanic has a great ending in the fact that you kill Jack off because I'm completely with you, Jack off. Oh man, um, uh, but like, <laughs> and that's how Colin learnt what jacking off was. Um, but like, it's it's yeah, you're right. Like they don't last. Um, but that's why you need to kill him off. So I think it's it's you. That's where that's where I think the writers are smart in these movies where maybe they realize they're not going to last, and then that's why like you have to have the tragic ending. I look at something like the fucking notebook and the whole, oh, it was me. Like, oh, it's so romantic because we're old and we have Alzheimer's disease. And that was a yeah. fuck off. Like, I mean, <laughs> you weren't going to last anyway. Uh, you did mention the uh, the Broadway play, which is the closest thing we get to a sequel out of this. Um, uh, actually, music by Brian Adams uh, and yeah. his, uh, I guess, co- what a man. Um, so Brian Adams and Jim Valance, that's the guy's name. So uh, we got we got Canadians who brought you Pretty Woman the Musical. Now, I, I don't know much about the musical, and I hadn't seen the movie in a long time, but uh, I did listen through several tracks on the album, and it's it's good. It, it sounds like Brian Adams, but it sounds like it could be a musical. Uh, th that's, the, that's the way a lot of these movies just end up going. Let's make a Broadway musical of it. I think Pretty Woman is one of those ones that kind of makes sense how you would do well, this. Well, I think we talked about that briefly. Mrs. Doubtfire had one that was there when I was in New York, but I didn't yeah. want to go see it because I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to see this. <laughs> But but like there's um you're you're gonna be maybe familiar with the name of it I guarantee you haven't seen it My Fair Lady oh, yeah. which was uh, it was a Broadway musical that won Best Picture when they made it into a movie with Audrey Hepburn uh, Pretty Woman's kind of when they reimagined it as a rom com uh, they basically said we're gonna make a modern day My Fair Lady it's yeah. gonna be about the the girl who but this Pretty Woman's completely different it's not like it's a remake or anything wasn't but, uh, a Star Is Born originally a Broadway play that they made 500 times i know well i don't know around. if it was a broadway play but i mean the movie i think the the most recent one was like the fourth adaptation of it like it's a movie that's been remade every, every like couple 30 of decades. years they make it with the hottest pop yeah. star don't they or something like that yeah yeah exactly um so critically i'm actually kind of surprised that well considering it got nominated for academy award for julia roberts got nominated for multiple golden globes uh, including Best Picture. Critically, this has only got like 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, uh, which is not bad, but uh, 
Um, even even looking through some of the reviews of the time, I find this in the one here. Uh, the, uh, the, I don't think it says who the review is from. Pretty Woman may be a yuppie fantasy, but the film's slick comedy soundtrack and casting can overcome misgivings. This is the interesting one because Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly gave it a D originally and said it starts out as a neo-Pygmalion comedy and it's tough hooker heroine. It can work as a feminist version of an upscale princess fantasy. Uh, pretends to be about how love transcends money, but is really obsessed with status symbols. 20 years later, he rewrote his review, said that he still felt he was right, but he said he'd give it a B today. So he's, he's not saying he'd change his opinion, but I, I thought this movie would have gotten like unanimous praise from critics. It's definitely one of those audience favorites, I think, over the critics' favorites, though. Well, I just, uh, well, I mean, just on that quickly, I, did, I just, I was trying to really quickly see, did Ghost get a higher percentage, uh, 76% with it? I'm seeing here, this is a Golden Globe. This was nominated for Best uh, Musical or Comedy. Now, I, I, I'm sure we maybe talked about this when we did Ghost. These are the movies that were nominated that year for Best Musical or Comedy, and I want you to tell me what won. So Pretty Woman was nominated. Ghost was nominated, Dick Tracy was nominated, Hello Madonna, Home Alone was nominated, and a movie called Green Card, directed by Peter Weir, was nominated. Oh. What one? Uh, I'm going to guess only because Peter Weir's name's attached Green Card. Yeah, I've never heard of Green Card. Oh. Apparently it's <laughs> Gerard Depardieu and Andy McDowell. Um, yeah, but like, I don't think I've seen it. We might have talked about that back when Ghost, because like, given that Ghost got nominated for Best Picture, because I don't think that Green Card did, like, I mean, and Ghost is revered all that kind of stuff but like it's it's oh, i didn't realize home alone got nominated great for that but um and i thought dick tracy was always one of those films that was meant to be critically well received and it did shit because madonna wasn't well madonna usually got good praise for that movie doesn't she um but it's one of the few yeah but i've never heard of green card and that one best musical and whatever cool um i'm kind of annoyed looking at the one star imdb reviews it's basically exactly what we expect uh um, this one, ridiculous. Uh, anyone has ever seen women work in the streets in person or even a documentary TV should find this film to be ridiculous. Um, 15 years later, and it still sucks. Uh, the love story sucks. Uh, Julia portray a street hooker. This is repulsive to me. She was a librarian with a mini skirt and heels. She had no tough shell to look to her. She wasn't tortured, anguished, enraged, starving or anything else. Not all movies need to be that. I don't know how many times we have to say this. Um, the complete garbage movie glorifies prostitution to means women. What you found something good here? The Guru, a movie for women who dream of an unlimited shopping spree. The plot is unrealistic. A billionaire is not very likely to pep up a prostitute and eventually make love to her. AIDS and other STDs are around. <laughs> he did not become a billionaire by being stupid. This is just another movie that panders to a women's fantaxi with a C of finding a rich man and spending his money and telling all of his rich friends where to go. It is very flashy with women's clothing and short of any great drama. Okay, uh, because, you know, she does have a scene in this movie where she gets condoms out, so clearly she's spreading AIDS and STDs around. Yeah. Thanks, the guru. <laughs> uh, this movie makes box office North America alone is like was $170 million. It was the fourth uh, highest grossing movie of all time at one point, worldwide. And... Worldwide, it's over four hundred million dollars. Is with four hundred sixty-three million dollars is the worldwide total. The nineteen ninety box office fourth highest grossing of the year, behind Home Alone, Ghost, Dances with Wolves, and just ahead of the Ninja Turtles, Hunt for October, Total Recall, Die Hard Two, Dick Tracy. Yeah, huge year. Um, Patrick Swayze and Richard Gere and Julia Roberts and Demi Moore. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, th this movie, I I think it stood for years. I don't remember exactly what record it was. It broke. Uh, is like the R. Did you say earlier there was an R-rated movie Disney had that broke? The no, no. So what I was reading last night. This is still Disney's highest uh, grossing wow. R-rated movie. Yeah. 
I think even just for, I'm kind of shocked that it is R rated because it's so tame in comparison to what you get nowadays. But um, the fact that Disney, who still does release R under what, the Buena Vista uh, banner or whatever, they don't you officially have call Buena it Disney. Vista Social Club. Oh, that's a movie we've got to do. <laughs> but but they they under their banner that they release uh, these uh, R rated movies on, even those don't top it. Like it's crazy how successful this movie was, and it was re released uh, in twenty twenty and made seventy thousand dollars. Wow, Jurassic uh, Park made more of that last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, opening weekend, this opened on my birthday Aww. in nineteen ninety. Happy birthday, Colin! Uh, happy birthday, Colin! There we go. <laughs> Uh, so it opened number one and it's actually, I mean, decent opening $11 million, uh, just ahead of the hunt for October in its third or fourth weekend, hunt for October made 9 million. So this barely beat hunt for October, which was in its fourth weekend. Tom Hanks's Jovers volcano was in third place. Other movies that opened that week was a shock to the system of the fourth war. I never heard of either of those. Um, but this None's is where it's really run. crazy. When- Sorry. <laughs> uh, you, you remember that movie? I've never heard of it. I just want to say it. Nuns on the run. That sounds fun. <laughs> are there nuns and are they on the run? <laughs> But like this is one of these movies that just it's stuck around week after week after week because week number one it's number one week number two it drops to number two but makes more money makes twelve million week number three it's number two eleven million dollars again week number four it's ten million dollars two uh, second place four weeks in a row this is making ten million dollars I don't think any blockbuster this summer very few blockbusters this summer have made ten million dollars on their fourth weekend yeah uh, this thing goes back to number one in its sixth seventh and eighth weekend. Is it number three after that? This movie doesn't even drop out of the top five till it's been out for 12 weeks. Which And this is a movie that opened in the spring. This is like when when summer movies was all that made money. Just, I just look again at that top 10, though, for 1990. Like, this beat two Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. The biggest, like, yeah. I just watched the Schwarzenegger documentary and how big he was. Like, this beat Total Recall and Kindergarten Cop. I mean, beat Die Hard 2. Uh, I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was like the big thing in 1990. Uh, yeah, I mean... It beat some big movies. I mean, I didn't realize Back to the Future Part 3 didn't even make $100 million. Like, I mean, think wow. about that today, that, you know, the last movie of a franchise as beloved as Back to the Future didn't even crack $100 million. You wouldn't hear about it today. Um, so, yeah, like, incredible. Incredible to think that that... Because, again, in a period of time where, you know, these weren't the movies that people watched, this is, as you've said, constantly in this, this is kind of the one... That, and this ain't Ghost. Like, we can't take away from what Ghost did for these type of movies mm-hmm. as well. So I think that, I mean, you look at that, between Ghost and Pretty Woman, they made uh, nearly $400 million combined. Home Alone, the number one movie that year, only made $285 million. Now, $400 million today, I mean, that's standard. But, like, back then, $400 million was unheard of. So um, two, the two of the top four movies were romantic comedies. That's insane. I don't think, have we ever had since 1990 a romantic comedy that high up on the list. I mean, Bridesmaids, a Hangover, if you consider yeah, Hangover well, a romantic, it's not really a romantic comedy. Even, I mean, we didn't talk about much on here, but like Julie Roberts became a massive thing for a few years, but then she she kind of dropped off in the mid to late 90s. But My Best Friend's Wedding was like a comeback for her. And I remember that movie being huge, but I don't even think My Best Friend's Wedding was a top five of the year. It was maybe top I'm, 10. I mean, looking here, so I mean, I guess if you do the whole in-calendar growth, Ghost was technically the number one film of the year. So since By then, the end of the year, yeah. I mean, Titanic, okay, fair enough. Um, but I mean, outside of that, what's the closest Shrek to, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, scrolling through all of these, it'd be Barbie. Oh, well, okay. It would be Barbie right now. Cause that is the number one film of the year. But like, I mean, outside of that, everything else is just like a, a blockbuster, My you know? big fat Greek wedding, but that wasn't the number one. Of the, well, I mean, I guess I'm just looking at the it number was like one. Yeah. Top five of the year, but even prior to this. So what would you get there? Um, Grease, 
I mean, obviously nothing's really mm-hmm. tracked prior to 77. But outside of that, everything, again, is a franchise. It's a blockbuster. I mean, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a bit of an anomaly there, but that's not a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of different IP used in that movie. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an anomaly that you kind of have this. But it's Barbie right now. And that at this rate, we'll end the year at the number one film, I reckon. I think anything's going to top Barbie at this stage. Plot uh, keywords. These are pretty predictable. Prostitute, prostitution, American prostitute. Very different. Um Fear of Heights, uh, Wig Month, uh, Falling in Love with a Prostitute is very different than just prostitute. Pretty Woman's number one, followed by Leaving Las Vegas, The Loft, and Night Shift. Um, I've got two. You got two? All right. Uh, we could do Sex, sex on a Piano Month, <laughs> featuring Pretty Woman, Marini's Black Bottom, The Catcher Was Us. a Spy, and Emmanuel, First Contact, which is a TV movie. Or this is a, a Ben Powell month, uh, attempted rape month. Uh, <laughs> Peaky Blinders, X, The Shawshank Redemption, or Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, two in a Bathtub month, oh. Bubble Bath month, oh. Woman Wears a Red Dress month, uh, Blonde Wig month, Pimp month, um, Street Prostitute. Um, looking for something good here. Paying for Sex month. Here we go. Hey. Okay. The Wolf of Wall Street, Catch Me If You Can, Once Upon a Time in America, and Pretty Woman. Old Man Month? Uh, <laughs> that's a bit disparaging. <laughs> X, Futurama, A Man Called Otto, oh, poor Tom Hanks, and The Godfather. <laughs> uh, Walking Barefoot on Grass Month, uh, Woman Wears Bra and Panties Month. Oh, yes, um, please. Man in Shower woman, uh, <laughs> woman Hugs a Woman Month. <laughs> wow, reference. Condom Month. Here we go. Oh, there we uh, go. Go for it. Colin's about to learn what a condom is. <laughs> uh, no hard feelings. The Meg 2. The Trent. What? Ugh. They put a condom on the Meg? Like, oh, God. I, you have to pay me a lot of money to see that movie. The Wolf of Wall Street and Fight Club. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm going to buy this movie. Yeah, I might buy it. Yeah, I think so. No, I'm definitely going to buy this it's... movie. And I'm telling you now, this is going to be a tough month because, like, it is. I came into this going like, well, Notting Hill, you've got mail. That's going to be hard to choose between number one between those because they nearly cracked my top 50. Don't know. Like, I, I might even rank this higher than those two, and I love those movies. I, good luck Sleepless in Seattle next week, another movie I've never seen. But, um, I mean, I thoroughly fucking enjoyed this film. I want to watch it again. Yeah, it's, it's good. And I don't know if it's going to come out at number one for me, but, I mean, it, I'm thinking like you, like, this is going to be a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, uh, not just because Pretty Woman's so good, but uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, now, I, this is a movie I watched a ton not like when it first came out, but as I got older and really started to appreciate Tom Hanks, uh, my brother and I would basically watch You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle all the time just because we love Tom Hanks so much. Uh, and then it went years without me watching it. It was last year when I rewatched it with Jamie. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is a good movie. But funny, starting to rewatch it again just this afternoon, I'm like, I underestimated how solid this movie is. Uh, like Pretty Woman, it's one of these like, it is rom-com, you know, quiet, calm part there but like very underrated funny like not going to make you laugh out loud but like moments you're like oh that's really funny uh but it's 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 way better than i remembered it being uh and i think the one thing that's gonna be most surprising is like the amount of chemistry that meg ryan and tom hanks have i want to actually use a stopwatch and count how much time they are literally on screen together because it is a matter of only a few minutes like they barely share the screen together and they, they, they built chemistry at julia roberts richard gear level is this our first tom hanks movie i mean i guess 
we, we reviewed Tom uh, Toy Story Tom Story Four Toy Story <laughs> Four, but I don't think we've done a Tom Hanks recap. I'm looking here. We did, did we do the Polar Express? No, we didn't. No, uh, Elv- we Elvis. Didn't do... Elvis, I guess. Um, but we didn't recap. We just reviewed that. Though. I guess yeah, we did Oscar. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, we haven't done a. Tom and there's Hanks. some good material here. <laughs> Look at their own Apollo 13. How, Forrest like, Gump. I think we need to do a Tom Hanks month. Like I, I like I, next year. Let's dedicate to it. Wait, I mean, God, how how can you choose? But no, I like. I'm surprised I've never seen this movie because you've got mail as one of these random ones we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. That I don't even know why I saw, but like I did, and I loved it, and I still love it to this day. And I mean, God, I'm I'm a I'm a normal human being. I love Tom Hanks. Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? And he's definitely one of these actors who you see he's attached to a movie and you're slightly interested in it. Like. You know, we've all got our actors. We will always see their movies no matter what. Yeah. But Tom Hanks is maybe there with Julia Roberts, where it's like I, I love them to a point where I'm like, oh, look, you know, they could do a movie on, I don't know, Ben Powell's rapiness, and I'd probably still yeah. go see it. Like, it's just, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's enough for me to want to see them. So, yeah, all I know from this movie is the famous last scene because, you know, that's one of these, like, ranking the famous last scenes from rom-coms. And there's like, I think a little moment in this film that they play in the cable guy. Is there not like a scene where like Tom Hanks is talking to some kid and the kid's like talking about like, oh, what about sex? You know, they're always like moaning or whatever in movies. Like they play that on the cable guy. So I don't know. It's one scene I know because they play, (laughs) Jim Carrey's watching it on the cable guy. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, I've gotten the one movie out of the way this month that I was most concerned about that I was probably going to hate. And I ended up loving it. So maybe this is going to be the one where I'm like, oh, I assume I'll like this movie and maybe I won't. I don't know. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing it because Tom Hanks is amazing. Meg Ryan. I mean, I've only really seen her. I think in You've Got Mail. She's great. Uh, I'm looking forward David to seeing Pierce. that David Duchovny movie that she's going to be in. Uh, looks pretty good. Um, Do you just, know the full cast of Sleepless in Seattle? Uh, should I look at it? Uh, who else is in it? Well, there are other famous people in it. Bill Pullman. What? Bill um, Pullman? Oh, yeah. my God. Rosie O'Donnell? Ro- Rosie O'Donnell. Rita Wilson? Rita Wilson. Is that where yeah. they met? Uh, no, they were already married at this point. Um, Carrie Lyle, she's familiar. She's in License to Kill. It's Pam. Pam Bouvier. Yeah. There she is. Yeah. And uh, Victor Garber. Uh, oh, wow. So a lot of people Francis get excited Conroy's about. in it, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Big cast. See. Pam's Huge in cast. it. I mean, not, not really Does she have long hair? Pam Does she start a bar fight? Oh, Bill Pullman's in this movie. God, yeah. He's been more flustered than Tom Hanks. Um, <laughs> Mr. President. Um, we've done a Bill I'm... Pullman movie before. <laughs> I don't think we have. I'm so and, excited and for we'll, Bill Pullman. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week, but like, I have a very love-hate thing with Bill Pullman. No. Uh, where it's... It, it, it's taken me some time to come around on him, but I've come around. And one Hang of the reasons on. it's taken me time to come around him is because of Sleepless in Seattle. But I think that this movie proves he did his job very well. If as a teenager watching Sleepless in Seattle, you absolutely hate the guy. No, 1996 was a great year to fall in love with Bills because you had Bill Paxton and Bill <laughs> Pullman, Independence Day and Twister. They were good years for Bill the Clinton. Bills. Bill well, Clinton, you, you were forced to fall in love. Well, I mean, fair enough. But then like... <laughs> You forget that he's in a league of their own. He's like, he's yeah. Gina Davis's husband. Husband. Yeah. And that's another great rom, it's not really a rom-com, but that's another great sort of like plot level where you kind of think Gina Davis and Tom Hanks are going to get together. But no, she's loyal to Bill Pullman. Um, and yeah. a random movie that I love, and I'm, I'm assuming you like it because you named your son him, Casper. Um, Bill mm. Pullman's the dad in Casper. So who's married to Amy Brenneman? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> these are all these connections. Like Bill Pullman and Amy Brenneman, what a couple. 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out whether Ben likes Bill Pullman because he's married to all these great women that oh. Ben loves so much, or if he loves Gina Davis oh, and Gina Meg Ryan Davis. and and uh, the who's the other one you just mentioned, Amy uh, Brenneman. Amy Brenneman because they're married to Bill Pullman. It could go both ways. The wife uh, in just... Independence Day, the First Lady, she gets killed, but she's nice. Um, yeah, we're talking about Ben's threesome dreams here. Oh, but Bill Pullman, <laughs> like, I mean, he like. Pisses me off that he came back for Independence Day Resurgence. Should have pulled a, a Will Smith and just not shown up for it. Um, but like, oh. I think they did better by him than Jeff Goldblum. But no, like, still not good they? for either. Gave <laughs> <laughs> him something to do it. But least. I'm looking for now. I'm even more looking for it. I mean, again, David Hyde Pierce just belongs in Seattle. That's why he's not in the Fraser reboot because he's going to Boston. Like, no, I'm David Hyde Pierce. I'm staying in Seattle. But um, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get some sleep between now and then, so I'm not sleepless in sleepless. Seattle. Yes, we won't be sleepless during sleepless in, in Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> and that's how Colin learned what a joke was. And we'll be back next week with lots of sleep and lots of Seattle and lots of jokes. Uh, and we'll also talk about 24 in between now and then. And then we'll finish up rom-com month. We, we should officially say we're finishing up rom-com month with You've Got Mail and Notting Hill, if you didn't guess that already. Uh, and then after that, we'll move on to something else. But we might even have a Blue Beetle review in here somewhere whenever it actually gets opened in Australia. Uh, two weeks of the time recording this. So by the time people listen to this, probably like a week by the away. End, yeah. By the end of this month, hopefully we'll talk about I, the Blue I'm, Beetle. I will tell you that there's a Beetle in it and it's blue. <laughs> and there is also George Lopez. Um, yes. Wait for Susan, you to see. Sarandon's in it? She is randomly, yeah. I was expecting a look, and I've always had a dream of a threesome with a beetle and George Lopez, but apparently he didn't. Colin obviously didn't really learn what a joke was. Um, Susan Sarandon <laughs> in, in that upcoming TV show, that's that Australian TV show that's got um, Sean Penn and Matthew Fox in it. So I need to send you a trailer for that. That so actually looks it? good. So is Matthew Fox and Misha Barton are just basically living in Australia now, making their careers well, there. The, 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 the difference here. is, is I don't know if Matthew Fox is actually like, because a lot of this looks like it was filmed not in Australia. So mm. to me, it kind of actually looks like that, you know, he just filmed stuff not in Australia. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's like a, an opening door here that we can possibly... Uh, you know, get Matthew Fox on the show, like Australian show, Australian publicity, like bugger Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. I want Matthew Fox. They can keep their Oscars. I want Matthew Fox. He's got an Emmy, doesn't he? I don't think he did actually, but deserve one. What a man. But in that did stupid he, uh, show that he did last year. <laughs> I'm just shocked that Sean Penn is doing a show with Matthew Fox. Like, you know, oh, expect. I'm shocked is Matthew Fox is Sean doing Penn? a show with Sean Penn. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you talk down to my man, Matthew Fox. Sean Penn doesn't really have a lot of fun these days. I'm kind of excited for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we'll have a review of Stan coming soon. Well, the, the show is called Caught, but it's on Stan. That's oh, the, uh, the it's streaming on Stan. service. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a review of Caught on Stan. We'll re- in our, our streaming months, Caught. we will review Stan. Binge. Stan and Craven. <laughs> Peacock. Um, join us next week for whatever we talk about. Uh, my name is Colin, and you can reach me at 976-BABE. 
and my name is Ben. And am I really a grouch? Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the oznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>